Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's amazing Arab Forum program here with Coach Menachem Berofan. Thanks for joining us tonight this year, 135, and it's been amazing. Yeah, 135. So thank you for joining us, Arab Forum. Tonight's more going to be like a comedy skit. You know, we're going to try to make everybody happy and we'll just like a little fun as for Yitzhak as a professional stand-up comedian. So we're going to have a good time here tonight. So uh, we're looking forward to all the good jokes. Again, we start off every week first thanking everybody that comes on, that promotes it, that puts it on their statuses, they email their friends, post on the WhatsApp, and people know about it. Again, shares a sichas chavedim. We're going to schmooze it out, and we're going to have a good time tonight. If everybody wants to join the WhatsApp chats, please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Again, that's 848-525-0066. Or you can go to menachembarenfeld.com, and you can sign up to his website to get his emails. We get all the information over there. You can get the... Uh, the flyers and the recordings and everything. So uh, please join. Anybody who's watching the recording of this on YouTube, you can click on the like button. So me and Menachem can get paid millions of dollars from YouTube and you can click on the subscribe button. So every Monday morning about 2.30 a.m. when Menachem uploads it, you get a ding and you can watch every share there. And of course, you can watch on all the other platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Talalasha and the phone numbers and a million other places. So please join us again. A special thank you to advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop here on Lakewood, Elian Ariel from Five Town Central, Kyla Kaufman from JCN from always posting us all the digital platforms on Matzev and all these other places. We really appreciate it. The Coach Menachem Show is sponsored by OKClarity.com. OKClarity.com is the online place for any Jews to find top therapists, coaches, and nutritionists. OKClarity professionals are vetted and have extensive experience working with the Jewish community. Yes, you can even find Coach Menachem there. Not me, Coach Menachem. I didn't make it to the list. If you're on the market for a therapist, coach, or you like, or if you're in wellness professional looking to get a more aligned exposure, you can go to OKClarity and also Get the WhatsApp status of thousands of people. The number to them is 917-426-1495. That's 917-426-1495. Menachem will send out their website um, and the email with all the other stuff. Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30, you do this year. We're doing this. going to be a three-year anniversary coming up in about two weeks. So we're doing this for a little bit of a while. And please join us on the Zoom ID. We have different topics, different therapists, Rabbanim. And uh, it's always wild. So please join us. Next week, after Purim, we have a very, very important share, some topic that we've never covered, and we have uh, a tremendous specialist joining us. Uh, it's going to be an amazing show with Robert Bernstein and Nacha Maskov. They both specialize in children on the autism spectrum, and the program is titled Understanding the Misunderstood, Helping the, Your Loved Ones on the Autism spe Spectrum. So obviously, if you know anybody that ha that's dealing with this, please tell them to join. It should be very, very uh, informative. Robert uh, Bernstein is, is like a world-renowned world specialist. He came out with methods, how to deal with children like that. And they also said there's a lot of parenting techniques on that that will help regular children as well. So everybody should try to join. Should be powerful, deep, meaningful. Please join us next Sunday after Purim, as long as you're sober. Um, tonight's show, we have the supposed to the honor of having Rav Yitzhak Feldheim, who actually agreed to come on Friday, Arab Shabbos, right? Something like that. Um, so thank you for joining us. Last second, we appreciate it. MHM, uh, we'll get into it. We'll start talking about the Ghan and the Naden and the bushes. Everybody wants to know what we're talking about. They said, I have no idea. We'll figure it out. But uh, he's a big speaker. He speaks, you know, age, gateways all over the place for years. We're looking forward. And tonight's share is 135. To tell us what we're talking, what the gematria is tied into what we're talking about. Since we don't know what we're talking about, I'll give the floor to you. 
or no? Can you hear me? Today's chair 135, I was discussing earlier this afternoon with Coach Menachem, and we really feel that this shear is a real game changer. And it's going to tell us some real facts to enhance, to make the quality of our life much better, to understand things in much greater clarity. And therefore, it's apropos that 135 is teach us the big facts that we're going to hear in this year. And also 135 is to have a good life. So we hope to accomplish this. Yeah, what a beautiful gematria, and we'll see if it ties it at the end. We'll see, we'll see if you're correct. Okay, and now we're going to turn it over to Coach Menachem. I got about 20 texts today. What are you talking about tonight? So please let us know. What are we talking about tonight? Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you, Aronoyach, for the Yishmachim gematria. So I want to welcome everyone. Another Coach Menachem. Let's get real with Coach Menachem. Number 135 with a lot of Siata Bar Hashem. And uh, we are 24 hours before Purim, which we're going to, in Mitzvah bring a lot of Simcha. And uh, like we heard, many people want to understand what's the topic, because we use a topic that not everyone understands. We're too old to play hide and seek. And it's time to leave the bushes, return to the Gan, return to Gan Eden, which we'll hear more. Um, from Yitzchak. But if you think about it, putting on a mask could do two things. Number one, it could help you hide. Or sometimes you can put on a mask so that the true self can come out. You might, you know, the whole year might be hard for you, whatever reason it is. So you put something on your face and now you can act yourself. So there's two ways how to look at it. Tonight, the topic is going to be a lot of coming out of the bushes, coming out of hiding places, the things that we're running away from, being able to come to connect back into Torah, which we'll hear much more. But I do find many people, when you start off saying things about Torah, people have had whatever association that you've had, whatever reason, whether it was in school, the parents, they went through whether it was real trauma or they just did not have good experience when they were younger. And now older, it's much easier to let go and not be, you know, the Torah, you know, they do a little bit of davening, a little bit of learning, but not so much connected, not so much part of it. And it could be coming from the way they look at it, the way they picked it up when they were younger. And they feel that it's much easier whether they go to therapy to help them out or after therapy, go for help to gain back a little bit more clarity of Torah. But it, it, it is a way, it's very important to become aware of why do I feel the way I feel? Where do I pick it up? So that we can slowly connect back. And Amit Hashem tonight we will hear much more and much deeper. I've had a long discussion with Rebbe and I can tell you, you have to hold on tight. <laughs> There's a lot of ideas deep, deep concepts, and uh, especially on this program, most people love when it's practical, but I think tonight we were taking a step either before practical or much deeper than practical so that we can slowly figure out what we could do, but first to listen, understand, 
to see where we're coming from, where we're going with these ideas. And Amit Hashem, a lot of Siyat Thank you, Rev. Rev. Yitzchak, for agreeing to come on and be Mahana the Oilam. Shpoyach. For, for the beautiful opening. So again, the topic of tonight's shear is we are too old to play hide and seek. I just played with my kid hide and seek. It's time to leave the bushes and return to the gun. It refers to Ghana. If anybody didn't get that, but uh, that's the topic. I want to try to really get into some deep stuff and uh, practical, not practical. You know, Torm is Nister, so we gotta go with that with that Mahalach over here. I'm gonna read Ravitzak's bio, and then we'll give it over. Ravitzak Feldheim. Grew up in Washington Heights as a graduate of Yeshiva of Long Beach, Mir, and Lakewood. Over the last 25 years with Gateway's National Lecture for Asia Torah, Project Inspire, and, and for his own organizations. Rabbi Feldham has lectured his communities and campuses across the U.S. and around the world. He has spoken for students of almost every campus with significant Jewish presence from Austin and Berkeley to Wharton, Yale, internationally. And he's lectured in India, South Africa, Central and South America, and throughout Europe. And more importantly, Coach Benachem. As an expert in Jewish thought of philosophy, Rabbi Feldheim possesses a rare voice that is rooted in the yeshiva world, but at the same time consistently inspires students and even the most secular and liberal institutions with a specialty in con controversial topics and defying Torah in public debates. His classes have listeners with a feeling of excitement and depth in Torah and a feeling of calm and how everything fits together in perfect harmony. It's an honor to have you here. Rabbi Yitzvak, floor is yours. Thank you very much. Wow. Baruch Hashem. Listen, so it's a big, it, it, I don't want to get too heavy, but it, it's a big schos to be part of this. Just in the dealing with you guys the last couple of days, it's, uh, it's rare to find people who are doing, you know, very important work, but still have a, with a smile and a light, a lightness that uh, I wish everybody I dealt with could, could, could approach the heaviness of life with, with the lightness that you bring to it, it would, it would make all of us unnecessary. All right, let, let, me, let me get started. Uh, um, I, I, I just wanna say one word to introduce where I'm coming from. Like I, I spent like the last 20 years based almost of my life going to college campuses. That's really the majority of my experience was dealing with not from Jews. It's very, a lot of fun to sit and talk to like uh, Tyra over here. But my, my whole previous experience was going to colleges. I, I used to work one hour a day. I would go to some campus somewhere in the US and talk to secular students. So the metaphors that I'm gonna use throughout the night are, are mostly those type of metaphors. I, I continue to use them even when I talk to broader crowds because I find that it's, it's easier to use a secular metaphor for a from crowd than a from metaphor. You have a broad audience. So, if anyone's too yeshivish, like there's no thing as too yeshivish, but don't be insulted by, by I'm not talking down to you. I'm using the metaphors that I, I, I feel are the broadest, the broadest appeal and the broadest understanding. That said, let, let me say my a few piece, a few few quick thoughts, just so you I can give over where I'm coming from. I for years I, I did Kirov, and I used to give these. I was very into Marals and Ramchals and Rabbi and I would give very, like, very philosophical answers to life's problems. And I used to go to campuses, I would deal with all the important topics from a philosophical perspective. A few years ago, everything changed. And I, I would say my same Torah, my same ideas to the same students, and I would get this blank look on their faces. And they would explain it to me in different ways, but basically this is the gist of what they would say. They would say like, 
Rabbi, like, like, what, what are you doing? You think my problem is that I don't know what's right, what I should do? I, I pay $30,000 a semester tuition and I get drunk every night. My problem is not that I don't know what I should do. It's how come I can't do the things I already know? Like, why are you telling me new things? Take your stuff, put it in the back of the line. When I get around to the stuff that I know I should do, then, then, then I'll do yours too. But my problem is, is how do I live the truths I'm already aware of before we pile on new truths? And I saw this across the world. Really, the world changed. People stop. It's like, I think we do know more or less what's right. The I call this the difference between philosophy and psychology. Philosophy is what is true. What should I believe in? Psychology is the struggle to live by what I already know is true. Things like pushing snooze buttons are not philosophical choices. No one believes that five minutes of nervous sleep is worth anything. When we push snooze buttons, it's, it's, it's the inability to face what I, what I already know is right. So this is the perspective that I'm coming from, and I want to give it from, a from how I see Judaism approaches this. The title is based on the following approach. I, I think that, of course, the story of Ganeidin is a story of Ganeidin, but the stories in the Torah are much larger. They're paradigms for all of our lives. This is Ganeidin. America's not the Gan. You know, I'm right now in Miami. I'm a steller, I'm a rabbi in the hotel in Miami for Shabbos. It's a gun. It's an amazing gun. But New York is a gun. New Jersey is a gun. It's all a gun. Earth is a gun. This is the gun that Hashem created. And we are Adam and Chav, all of us. And the story of life is HaKadosh Baruch who created the gun with nothing more of an intention that the Adam and Chav should be dancing in his gun. Barefoot, in slow motion, singing Zmiris, with kids in matching clothing, beautiful suits, smelling flowers, swimming in oceans, in rivers, streams, even mountains, flowers. The Rabbi Shalom was a native. The entire purpose of the Bria was nothing more than mankind dancing in his God. And unfortunately, what Adam and Chava did, and every subsequent Adam and Chava, me, you, all the, the later Adam and Chavas, we all end up feeling Orum and hiding in the bushes. There are two places in the world. There's the Gan and the bushes in the Gan. And all the Odin and Chavas invariably find ourselves curled up in the bushes. And I believe that the entire Torah is nothing more than a guide to how to get Odin and Chava out of the bushes back into the Gan. That's the Torah. And that's our mitzvahs and our Yom Tovim. And my mission is to convey that to people, that the Torah is not trying to break them not trying to twist them into it's trying to help them get back into their own lives. That's the gun. The bedrock of my hashkafa is is that the healthiest person in the world are the little kids. Little children are wide-eyed. They're shalim. They're born on fire. I once was asked to speak at an event, and they gave me a title. The title was called "Kindling Our Children's Lift." That was the title of the shir. And I started off like, uh, I, I don't like the title. It's a terrible title. Our job is not to kindle children's lit. Children are born lit. That's what a kid is. A kid is nothing more than a bowl of fire, a ball of fire. They're, they're, they're giddy, they're giggly, they're up at the dawn. The first people up in any house are little kids. They're on fire. The job of the parents is to protect the kids from having water poured on their lit. They're already born lit. We have to protect our kids from losing that spark. The first people up in the house are the little kids. 
And what parents have to do is they have to lock their doors and say, just because mom, you're up, doesn't mean mommy, Tati has to get up. Tati has to go to shul. Mommy's going to work. Go play in the living room. Let mommy Tati sleep for another half an hour. And that happens for a few years, but not past 13, 14 years old. At 13, 14, the parents wake up one day and the house is silent. And they go, like, who stole the kids? Like, what's going on? And they look and there's their son, Avi, is in bed. And uh, Avi, Shachris, school, what are you doing? You got to get ready for school. Ta, I heard you. I'm up. I got it. Five minutes later, you go in. Avi, you said you're up. Shachris. Ta, I, I'm up. I heard you. Uh, the third time, Avi, Ta, you're getting weird already. Like, enough. For the first stage of our lives, we're up with the dawn. We're up. We're alive. We're on fire. We can't, we can't, things can't come fast enough and large enough. And then there's one day where things change. And now the kids start to lock their doors from their parents. And uh, I call that the bushes. Now, we're all different and we all have different bushes. But the realization that the world is beautiful, the Torah is beautiful. I should be dancing in a gun is the first step. Identifying bushes and identifying the ways to come out of the bushes. The, the, these are the sugyas that matter and what's important. And that's what I want to do with, deal with you today. And uh, we'll approach it from different sides. You know, from this is what I dealt with for many, many years on campuses. With COVID, I, have, I haven't been to a campus in basically three years. I had to change my whole career. Today, I deal with frumidans. And there are many from married people with kids with Amuna questions. And I, 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 I've had a chance to deal with the bushes many kinds of bushes with many kinds of people. And uh, I, I look forward to, to probing that together on this, uh, this holy podcast. So um, you wanna give me some direction or I should just go on my trip? What's, uh, We're gonna guide you, we're gonna guide you on this trip. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, go ahead. We'll take a little poll, we have some questions. Anybody wants to ask a question, please ask. Um, what we're trying to clarify is how to really tap into Yiddishkeit and really, you know, with the difficulties that we have. So um, let's take a poll and everybody will answer it. Okay, here we go. It's a three-question poll. One second. Here we go. Three questions, answer it however you like. It's anonymous. First question, what actions from your child, what actions from your child concerns you the most? If you had three options. Number one, distracting himself from Yiddishkeit and acting like a chiller. Number two, rolling their eyes at Yiddishkeit and acts like a snob. Option three, spending the day complaining that Yiddishkeit doesn't work for them. And they keep on, hold on, keep on complaining. Except I can't see the rest, it's too long. They keep on, right, they keep complaining and quetching. That's the first question. What's from these three things, when you see these things in your children, whether they're chiller, snob, or they're constantly fetching, concerns you the most from those three options? Second question. Where do, you, where does, where do your primary expectations for yourself in life come from? Like, where do you get your expectations from? My personal goals and aspirations, first option. Second answer, social or cultural expectations and norms. I learned, like, where society is. Or option three, family, friends, rabbis, or other significant individuals in my life. Third question. Which of the following would you prefer if you were a bike rider? Okay, this is a real hypothetical question. I'm not a bike rider, but if you were a bike rider, work hard, sweating, and experiencing pain to climb up the hill and then effortlessly flying down the hill, 
Or option two is simply riding straight without having to work too hard. You see the, you see the balls? I'm with you. I'm with you. Gavaldic. Okay. Let them want, you're, making, you're getting me all excited. I want to start adding some stuff over here. How long okay. do you When do I get to talk? <laughs> uh, okay, let everybody answer, and then we're going to share the answers, and then you could you could uh, give your, your two cents. Beautiful, beautiful, okay. beautiful. Nice stuff. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. So again, I'll read the quickly three questions. Um, oh, I can click on it. Nice. Okay. Yeah. What actions from your child's concerns would concern you the most? Chiller, snob, or being fetchy? That's the first question. The second question: What's where do you get your primary expectations from in your life? Is it personal goals and aspirations, societal norms, or family, friends, rabbis? Or number three, what are the following? If you are a biker, which method do you prefer? Working hard, getting up the top of the hill and then relaxing effortlessly down? Or option two, um, simply riding straight without having to work so hard? Okay, three more seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. You ready? Now we're going to share with everybody. Okay, here's what everybody said. What actions from your child's from your child concern you the most? From these three options, fifty three percent of people say when he acts like a chiller. Thirty percent of people roll their eyes when the child rolls their eyes and acts like a snob. Or seventy percent of people say when they spend the entire day complaining about Yiddishkeit that doesn't work for them and they constantly are fetching. It's like you want to give a comment on that first one. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think, I think people are right on. That's amazing. You know, it's uh, you want, you want to do it one at a time. Or you want to do all three first. Whatever you want, whatever your your call, your show, your call. I don't know. I just right now, I just see letters. I want to see people again. So uh, maybe we should finish with the poll and we'll comment on right. this. I see your face. Number two, where do your primary expectations for yourself come from? Your life. Fifty-five percent of the people say my personal goals and aspirations from themselves. Only ten percent of the people say from societal or cultural expectations and norms. 35% of people say family, friends, rabbis, or other significant individuals in their life. So most people feel that it comes from themselves. And the third question, the hypothetical question, which of the following would you prefer if you were a biker? It's actually split pretty evenly. 49% of people feel they'd rather work hard, sweat, experience, and pain to climb up the hill and then effortlessly go down, while 51% of the people simply riding straight without having to work too hard. So those are the three polls. I'm going to end it. You can exit off your screen. Wow. If you want to comment them then, or if not, we can go straight into the questions, whatever you, you know, want. I think, I think that's amazing. I, I think you have, like, at least from the first, two, I'm going to be honest, the first two questions, yeah, I, I was saying, like, this is the healthiest group in the world, listeners. Those are the best answers. The I third only, one, only take the most healthiest people to be on this program. You have to be, like, part of the club. <laughs> the, the third one, I'm not so thrilled with your audience. But that could, now I feel like I have a job. So I'm going to, let let, 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 let let me get busy. Let me, let's talk, let's start to get real. So, you know, I just I, let, let me start with something very fascinating. You know, a, a lot of speakers have used this vehicle. To, I wonder if you ever had someone on the show use this vehicle. It's a, it's a common vehicle. I just have a really interesting direction I go with it. And it's like this. Uh, has anyone ever talked about the ideas that the Eskimos have like 30 words for snow? No. You ever heard this thing? It's it's a famous thing. The idea is like this. It's, it's a cool theory. Is that the Eskimos. The Eskimos use snow for everything. You know, they have snow houses and roofs and highways and cars and bedrooms and kitchens. So when something's very central to your culture, you need to have like a, a lot of words, nuanced words for you have to know is the ceiling snow, wall snow, or highway snow. 
We don't need that. We just need to know, you know, there's good snowballs, no bad snowballs, though. You know, in Miami, they just have to have one word for snow because it's a theory. But the philosophy, the idea is, is that words are developed based on meaning. And when you have, when something's important, you need to have many different words, synonyms for the same thing. And the idea is, is that since that's true, we know that's true, we have a non-biased way to figure out in any culture, what are the most important things in that culture? Like if I ask anyone from the culture, what's the culture about? Most people become salesmen and spin doctors. They go, oh, we're about justice and kindness, you know? But, but you don't know, but maybe they're just salesmen. This is a non-biased way to figure it out. You don't have to ask them. Just open their dictionary and find which word is the most important, has the most synonyms. And those are the things in their culture that are most important. And they can't spin it because it's there to look at it. Using a, a very absolute system to determine the, the, the primacy of ideas. Like, so the Eskimo snow is their thing. You know, uh, the French have the most words for love. That's their culture. The Irish have over a hundred words for drunk. You know, you, you can Google that, it's real. But based on this idea, what do you think is the word in Lashna Kaitish with the most synonyms? Without any spin, opening a Jewish dictionary, what word has the most synonyms? And this is a non-biased way to figure out what is the central thing in Yiddishkeit. So I've heard Rav Pinkus talk about this. I've heard many darshan, and I've heard basically two answers over the years. And they're both beautiful. I used to do it myself when I was a rabbi for years. I always said simcha, you know, gila, rina, ditsa, sasling, the simcha. For other, that would be a beautiful answer. The most there's ten words for simcha, and the most so the most important Judaism is about joy. That would be a nice answer. Another answer is tefila. There are many words for tefila. So akka, so akka, right? Uh, there are many words for tefila. So both of those are nice answers. But over the year, I was preparing a shir, a different shir. I was giving a shir actually on Breslov. It was called na 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 narishkeit or necessity. Does the mainstream from world need Breslov? You know, the answer is yes, just in case you're, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're wondering. But in, the, in researching that share, I found another word, with more than 10. There's 10 words for simcha, 10 words for tefillah. I found the word with over 25 synonyms, which is unheard of. That's two and a half times more words in second and third place. Doesn't happen like that anywhere in the world. In any race, you know, first place, second place, third place, usually pretty close. To have first place so far away from second places means that this is far and away the most important thing in Yiddishka. That's hint number one. Hint number two is, when I tell you this word, it's gonna shock you. You know, people learn new things in life. We do, we learn new things always, but very rarely do you learn something as an adult that's 180 degrees the opposite of everything you thought before. What I'm gonna tell you is the most important, holiest thing in Yiddishkeit is literally the opposite of what you think it is. Right now, most people think this is the most evil thing in Yiddishkeit. And I'm, gonna, and, and I'm using a non-biased way of showing that it's the holiest thing. This is not spin. This is, happens to be the thing in Lashon HaKodesh with the most synonyms. Okay? That's, uh, that's my hint. Drum roll. What's the answer? What's the word? Taiva. There are 25 words for desire in Yiddishkeit. Chemda, Cheshek, Chuka, Rotsoin, Kivoy. Nixifa, Kolsot, Samulcha Nafshi, Kamlucha Bissari, Akasha Alti, Oysa Vakish, Kayol Taroy Galafike Moyim, Yachel Lashem, Mavoye Levo, 
Chaloisi v'liyo yishia. Chuka. I don't know what I said. Chem d'cheshek. I'm not keeping track. This, at least then there's esroi, meragig. There's, there's at least 25 words for desire in Lashna Kedosh. Desire is the holiest thing in the world. If the purpose of life is to dance in the garden, then you know what the Yetzer Toiv is? The Yetzer Toiv is desire. The best thing, the holiest thing in a person is desire. Now people think that, what do you mean? Okay, that's nice, but there's, there's bad desires. Like uh, you can't say, no, I'm saying that there's no such thing as bad desires. Desire, I'm going to back it up. I'm going to answer, but I'm sure it's bothering you. It should be bothering you. That's, uh, these things are only fun if I get, get bothered and then we get to like make peace. So I'm making a radical claim that all desire is holy. Not just holy, it's the holiest. The Yetzir Toiv of a person is desire. In Yiddishkeit, we have 25 words. That, that means the most nuanced thing. If you're a mumacha, you could identify 25 different desires. There are words that you can't even do, explain without using your hands. How do you say like nichsefa, kolsa? I'm erasing myself from longing. You know, you can't say that with your hands tied behind your back. You need like kolsa, nichsefa. It's like some whatever. This is this this is Yiddish kind desire. The yetzer hara is the opposite. The Yitzhahara is the voice in your ears that says, who are you fooling? Stop it. Nothing comes true. It's not going to happen for you. The voice of desire is the voice of the young kids. The young kids are full of fire and longing and yearning. They lie in their backyards and they stare at the stars and they plan out their lives. Our dreams are our Yitzhahara type. And as we get older, the Yitzhahara type starts to be challenged by the other voice. The voice that says, who are you fooling? It'll never happen. Now, what do I mean by saying that that there's no such thing as a bad taiva. I don't understand how the word taiva got to be used for the Yitzhahara. Let me, let me explain. I think the first thing I tell any group of college kids when I go to a campus, here's what I tell them. Because they don't want to see me. They're there because someone's serving them pizza. You know, So they're in the room. <clears throat> I, so I go straight for the, the elephant in the room. I say, you guys all think that I'm here to tell you not to go to clubs. That's why I'm here. So I want to be very honest with you. That's exactly why I'm here. <laughs> I'm telling you, don't go to clubs. Exactly. But I, I do have something unique to share with you is that you have no idea why I was telling you don't go to clubs. You think the reason I'm telling you don't go to clubs is because why? How, how would they explain? It? Why would a rabbi, why did they know I'm coming? Like, wh what do they think my message is? They think my message is it's, it's too much desire and hedonism, taiva, like, like be, more, be more spiritual than physical. Well, be more about your soul than your body. Well, the world to come, not this world. The way you still want the partying, be important things, be deep and, and the most more holy. And don't be so wrapped up in, in, in partying. Be more involved in holiness. Holy is better than happy. Something like that. That's what you think. That's what they think. I said, that's the, that's the biggest lie in the world. I am here to tell you don't go to clubs. But all the Torah wants is you to be happy. There's no other agenda. There's no other program in Yiddishkeit than your simcha. Do you know why I'm telling you don't go to clubs? Because nobody ever went to a club to be happy. The reason you go to clubs is because every year the clubs get darker and louder. It's a place to hide from everything you ever wanted to be when you were 10. When you were 10, you wrote a diary, you wrote a journal, you were proud of yourself and you were full of dreams. And then things happen. And everybody has things happen and you don't believe that all those things will happen anymore. You know, the best way, it, listen, Purim's, it's almost Purim. You can go around Lakewood or any Jewish community 
there's only one available costume for any girl under eight years old. Every single girl in every Jewish community, it's a princess or maybe a kala, but it's the same costume. And every boy, at least when I was growing up, what was the boy? The boy's also a little less limited. It was something with a gun, a sword, or a cape. The world is, at eight years old, the world's very simple. It's a world of princesses and heroes. You know, today it's like a little more refined. Today it's Hatzola guys, you know, first responders, Shoimrim, Chaverim, you travel with a jack, you know, like uh, instead of a gun, but it's the same idea. And by the way, it's not just in, in from communities. You go Halloween in any non-Jewish community, this is a universal thing. There's a reason why Disney is the industry it is. Because at eight years old, before we've been damaged, before we've been broken, everybody believes in themselves. And when you believe in yourself, you want to be a princess. What's the princess dream? It's not, it's not the, sh the shallow thing, I want to be rich and live in a palace with fancy clothing. That's not the princess dream. What's the princess dream? The princess dream is that I want to be so valued so appreciated that someone is going to risk their life to kill a dragon to deserve me. It's a statement of value and inspiration is that I am so good that somebody's going to want me and change and grow to deserve me. And the boy's dream of being a hero is I want to be so valuable and so good and so hard, so, 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 so powerful, so important that a princess is going to want me. This is how Shlameless looks. Shlemus looks as that she wants to be the thing that is deserved, and he wants to be the one who deserves her. And that's how we are. Eh? And then we go through life and we don't believe it's going to happen. And then that's where the word pain comes in. I mean, there's physical pain before that. But the way I define, I don't know if this works with the therapists but, or the coaches, you'll tell me, but, but, but in my language, emotional pain is the experience of the gap between your dreams and your fears or your limitations, the things that tell you it's never gonna happen. If your expectations and your limitations are not in sync, if your, if your expectations and your limitations are in sync, then that's simcha. Simcha is where I become everything I ever wanted to be. It's when a girl is dating Prince Charming, when she curls up on her bed and she reads the diary she wrote when she was eight. It's like, wow, everything I ever wanted to be. That's shlemus. That's simcha. Simcha is, but let's say you're not there. Let's say I have those dreams and it's never going to happen. Who am I fooling? These are the voices of the Yitzhahara. It's out of reach. You're lying to yourself. So now you have pain. And now the question is, how do we cope with that pain? So there are a number of ways that we cope with it. The, you know, the first way is, is you mentioned in your question, in, in your poll, I, it's the chiller. The best word for it is chilling. What is chilling? Nobody goes to clubs to be happy, you go to clubs to hide from your dreams in the dark. It, that's a very severe way, but chilling is, is to stop caring about your dreams, is to silence my dreams. To, you know, he's a, very, he's a very powerful way to say it. When I, when I started doing Kirov, so like, you know how high school kids and college kids, they, they have words they use, every third word is the same word, like and they make the parents nervous. So I'm gonna give away how old I am. I hope nobody can figure this out. But when I started doing here, the word was, it was like this California Valley girl stage of the world. It was like, like totally awesome. Everything was like awesome. Awesome, it's awesome with a Svardi pronunciation of Hatbach instead of the commas. Totally awesome. I don't know if anyone remembers those days. Like us, to totally awesome. That was the word. And it, it just made parents and teachers, everybody was great. Stop it already with the like totally awesome. 
You go to college today, you know what the number one word is or any high school? What is the number one word? This you guys should know. You're living today. Today is our time. What, what's the yeah. number one word? Sure. Whatever. Whatever. I want you to think about this. There's no bigger gap between two words than the gap between awesome and whatever. Awesome is the most excited word in the world. It is full of light and optimism and hope. It's giddy and giggly. It's full of excitement. That's awesome. Whatever is probably the saddest word in the world. It, it's a long word, but it's much longer than it looks. What does whatever mean? Whatever means when I was young, I believed everything was awesome. And then things happened that I don't believe it will ever happen. And now thinking about those things hurts me too much. And it causes me such pain. I need to figure out how to convince myself that all those dreams were not real and not important. So I came up with this word, whatever which basically helps me convince myself that all the things that I always wanted are not important and insignificant. And hopefully now this will allow me to get through life. It's the saddest word in the world. And we lived that transition. My life spanned the bridge from awesome to whatever. And that's just a, a word way, of a, a language, an observation based on language. But there are worse ways to observe it. You know, I started off saying kids are giggly. Kids giggle, you know, um, adults also laugh, but there's a whole different laugh. You know, the what's, what's Purim? Purim is Amalek, the war against Amalek. You know what Amalek is known for? What's the Mida of Amalek? The trait of Amalek is called Leitzanus. Leitzanus is cackling. It's sneering, derisive laughter. It's so strange that in the language, you could have one word for laughter that, that it somehow embraces giggling and sneering. I can't imagine two ideas that are further apart, but it's called laughter, but it's not like this. You know, people think, somebody once wrote a song, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints, you know? I hear it, I know where it's coming from, right? When we picture holiness, you picture fasting and silence. And, and when you picture uh, uh, Rishoyim, they're partying and drinking, but that's not Yiddishkeit. That song was not based on Yiddishkeit. People think that, that life is happy or holy. Do you want to be happy? The saints are laughing and the sinners, the saints are crying and the sinners are laughing. <laughs> you know, we're both laughing. We believe that holiness and happiness is the same thing. We laugh and they laugh, but it's two different laughs. We laugh that innocent laugh, the giggle of someone whose life is tahar and kalish, and he's pure, and therefore he's optimistic. And he just doesn't feel ashamed. He doesn't have to hide in the bushes. And he sees the gun as achievable and livable. And we giggle. We go through life bouncing around. They also laugh. But I call that laughter the saddest sound in the world. It is the sneering, cackling laughter of someone trying to reassure himself and everybody around them that I'm fine the way it is. Trust me, I'm happy. It's an empty sound. It's not laughter or crying. It's two versions of laughter. And I think that version of laughter is sadder than crying. But this is the truth. These are two different ways to see this. You can see it through whatever and the awesome, the transition of awesome to whatever, the awesome of cackling versus giggling. Another way you mentioned in, in one of your questions, eye rolling. That's maybe the best way to show this. You know, the, I said little kids are wide-eyed. Teenagers perfect the eye roll. What happens between the, the wide eye and the eye roll? It's all the same thing. 
the, the people who roll their eyes cackle. The people who cackle and roll their eyes say whatever. The people who are giddy and giggly are saying awesome. The Yetzer Taiv is those dreams. The Yetzer is those fears. You know what happens to these girls in college? I, I go to colleges and I, 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 I talk to the students and, and I say the girls because they're deeper and then they, for guys, the guys is not so difficult. You know, when, when you feel the gap between your, your, your expectations and your limitations, so it hurts, but for a guy, I just need an Xbox. You know, I, I need to play a game and, and I forget all my pain. We, we disconnect so easily. But the Rabbinah Shalom created women so deep that the pain doesn't go away so fast. And, and an Xbox, this is, I, I think this is why girls don't play Xbox as much as guys do. This doesn't work for them. If, if the Xbox didn't work for guys and they kept on thinking, uh, let me tell you a story. Uh, it's, 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 it's a heavy talk, so I want to mix in a story. It's a sad story, but it's, it's, we'll get happier in a second when we start talking about how to get out of the bushes. But I wanted to find, yeah, you first have, because no one understood the title, so you really have to define the bushes pretty well. I, I, I didn't finish that sentence. With, I said that the girls in college have to burn their diaries. It's a cliche, but it happens. You know, I had a girl tell me that she came home from college her sophomore year, and she, she, the pain, she couldn't even look at the right side of her room in her parents' house. What was on the right side? She has a dresser on the right side. And in the dresser is a drawer. And in the drawer is the diary she wrote for three years when she was eight to 11. And it hurts so much that she can't even look at the dresser. Do you know how deep you have to be to feel that? That's like the holiest person in the world. They should not be, that's not, they, it's not, they didn't grow up in a system that allowed them to preserve their dreams. But they have to feel this people burn their diaries and and you know that's extreme but let me give let me give you a front version of that because i had a, had this story and it's, it's and then i'll try and try and get more positive but i had a kid i i, I went to a town once for a shabbaton when i go to shabbatons you know i'm like the rabbi so instead of putting me in the gvir's house you know they always think they're going to put you in the rabbi's house because you're the rabbi you want it so i don't get like the big fancy room and the I get, they always put me in the Rebbe's house. So I'm always like, when you stay in the Rebbe's house, they don't have a guest room. There's, they, there's always a kid who's sleeping on mommy daddy's floor because the rabbi is using his room. So I'm always exiling some kids from their room. So I'm sitting there in one town for Shabbos. I went to speak, they're having a college Shabbat tone in the town. They put me up in this, in this guy's house. And I went Shabbos afternoon, I had like an extra hour to take a nap. I go to take a nap and I'm looking at the wall next to my bed. And I'm, I don't know, I don't think I'm OCD, but this Shabbos, I was OCD. On the wall, he had these like little papers on the wall, you know, like different kind of like pastel colors. There was a yellow paper that said, you know, Moishi Davind with Kavan. And then there was a green paper that said he learned with Hasmada. And then there was a, a blue paper, he asked the bomb Kasha. There were different color papers for different achievements. And on his... All he had like 37 papers, like 18 blue ones and 14 green ones and the yellow ones. He davened, he learned, he showed up on time, he put an extra credit, he did chesed, all different colors. So like, I, I grew up, I'm a yaki, I grew up in Washington, so it was like, maybe it's not OCD, it's just yakish, but I was the whole, I was looking at it, it bothered me that the world wasn't symmetrical. 
And I'm saying, like, I see, like, he got it over these weeks. I'm, like, planning out in four more weeks, if he learns really well one week and Davin's well the next week, then he can add this corner. And then by Pesach, he can square it off and get a perfectly good rectangle on the wall. I was trying to figure out how he can organize all his papers that his wall is going to be, like, perfectly neat. Now, right now, it wasn't symmetrical. The colors were imbalanced. So I was planning out these kind of metaskinulas. I'm planning out his entire life, how much he's going to learn, Davin, ask questions, the chesed. And that, I went home after Shabbos, you know, I didn't get much of a sleep that Shabbos, I went home. Three years later, I'm coming back for Shabbos, I pull up into the same community, and I come to a house, and I'm staying in a house, and I recognize the house from outside, and I say, wow, I think this is the same house I stayed in last time, and it hit me, wow. You know, I, I think this is Maishi's house. I, I wonder if they're going to give you Maishi's room again. I'm going to be able to see if he finished it off. Like I was all excited, hoping I'm going to get Maishi's room. I go in, that's why I'm like, I'm not late. It's almost Lichbench, it's after Lichbench. The father's already in the driveway saying, Rabbi, you want me to wait for you? You know how to go to Shul from last time? Or uh, I said, wait for me. I'm just going to drop my stuff in the room and I'll come right downstairs. So I went upstairs, I took my little carry on, I put it into the room, and I look at the wall to see how he did. And there's not a sticker or paper on the wall. My heart fell into my stomach. I go down the stairs and I knew exactly what I was going to see as I'm leaving. On the right side of the door is a living room. And as you come down the stairs, the living room on the right, and I see on the couch is a boy with a hoodie and like uh, earphones running out to the car with the father. And I couldn't talk for 10 minutes. I had this lump in my throat. That Sadiq Maishi, who had his whole life planned out, what has to happen to someone to take all of his pride, his stickers, those papers off the wall? Everyone was so important to a stranger, but how must, how must he have felt about it? Yeah, so boys also burn their diaries. You don't write diaries, but we, we put papers on the wall. And if you, if you grew up in a more secular house and you were in Little League, how many people take their trophies off the mantle and put them in the attic? How could you put away a trophy? Because what happens is we start off as dreamers with the eights are totally full of dreams and then the eights of horror kicks in and starts to convince us that it'll never happen. And when we believe it'll never happen, the pain becomes overwhelming. And we have to deny and hide from all those dreams. Now, it's not always so dramatic as this, but the story of Purim, I'm going to mix in a Purim thing, is the whole entire story is this. Haman is the richest guy in the world. He has 10 kids. He has power and authority and cover everything in the world. He says it's all worthless as long as Mordechai doesn't bow. Is, can you wrap your head around that? How could that be? How could it all be worthless as long as Mordechai doesn't bow? Because this is his bushes. Haman also once wanted to have things on his wall. He was also an eight-year-old giddy giggly boy. He didn't need to be posting Lamborghinis on Instagram and, and showing off the food he's eating and the girls he's dating and the clothing he's wearing and getting everyone to bow to him. These are the things you do. This is a common hiding place. It's a thing you do when you stop believing in your dreams and the way you hide from your truth. And what happens is when one guy doesn't buy it, that's your diary. See, the diary is like the mirror. It's a, it's, it's a snapshot of what you once believed. So there are many, many mirrors, not just diaries. The greatest mirror, a moving diary, the diary that follows you. 
is that is the people on the street who are walking, holding their kids' hands, people walking down to a chuppah. I always say, you know why we have the chuppah open to all four directions? We're a very private people. Everything is in sneers, everything is private. The most vulnerable moment of a person's life by the chuppah. This is the moment, the most vulnerable, most private, intimate moment. That's the time we get rid of all walls and we, we turn them around to face the crowd and let a thousand people steer them in their face while they're davening and crying. Like, how does that fit with the rest of our Yiddish kind? You know, it's because people are hiding and you need to see two people who stopped hiding and took a risk and jumped in. And they're, we're hoping that their fire will rub off on other people. It's, they're a mirror. Everybody wanted this once. And then we all roll around and say, marriage. <laughs> my married friends are miserable. You know, they just want money. Like everyone has their stories. But no, go look at these guys. Sometimes mirrors are good. They're always good. But they're hurtful. Haman's mirror was Mordechai. The girl's mirror is her diary. My boy in that town, his mirror was those papers on the wall. When he felt he couldn't be that anymore, they can't look at those things because they remind them what he wants. We see we play a game. What we have to do is we, I call it the you're the man game. You know, uh, here's how I say it. Like, I was in camp and they used to make us all call our parents every air of shots. You know, so you, it was two like two payphones in camp, and so you'd think that that's like ours, but it's it a boys' camp, so the line went very fast. You know, here's every conversation the same. You can imagine what was being said. The the you know you see the kid on the phone. Hi ma. What happens next? Nothing much. Nothing special. No, nothing new. You know, this 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 basically. Four available responses that every boy says to every question. I don't know they were on the other end of the phone. They're all four. There's only four responses. They're all two letters, two words long, and one of the words is always the same. Nothing much, nothing special, nothing new, nothing really. Now, how does that make sense? You know, we love our parents. They love us. Why does every conversation go like that? So I think this is what goes on. I think that when I was eight years old, I wanted to be a hero. I was jumping off the couch with a towel tied around my neck. I was going to save the world. And then stuff happens and you don't believe you're going to be a hero. And now it hurts. So you have to find all new friends who don't know you when you were, when you had those dreams. Your new friends think you're the greatest guy in the world as you are. You know, you have a whole new dreams. They go, wow, nobody can drink as much as you do. Like you are the craziest driver. You know, like new dreams. And, and they say, you're the man. And I go, no, 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 no. You're the man. They go, no, no, you are the man. And they go, and then we say, you know what? We are the men. It's a social contract. I don't call you out. You don't call me out. We'll both affirm each other. And this way, we don't have to think about who we wanted to be. And it's a game. But that game robs us of, of the mirror that allows us to become great. And then, so, but, but we develop this and we build a little bubble of, of that, you know, that affirms my new herohood without any reminders of my truths. I have my hiding place. That's my bushes. My bushes is you're the man. But then my parents call. My parents say, what's new? You know what the translation of that is? Translation is, so how much closer are you to all those things you wanted to be when you were eight? My parents don't want to hurt me, but they, they don't know what I went through. They, they look at me as that perfect eight-year-old boy. And 
they went through their own rejections and their own pain of their own dreams. But they look at me as that kid that all my dreams will still come true and they're excitedly waiting. And they don't know how much that hurts me because I just found the whole new way to escape those dreams. I burned my diary. I, I escaped my dreams and they cut right through it. And that's how we say nothing much, nothing special. You know, how are the Yankees doing? Whatever it is, however we change the topic. You know, everybody has their thing. There are many, many ways to hide. And uh, we, we, we find them all. So here, here's, here's the most common hiding place. So I'm, I'm, I call this mirrors. I, I do this share called mirrors. The I like five levels. Of, the first mirror is called, is the diary. What a diary is to a little girl. What a diary is to a little girl is what parents are to all kids. What's the next level? You see, each level gets more intense because the diary, it's a powerful mirror. I have pain. I want to lick all my dreams. And letting go, what's letting go of your dreams? That's like sort of like running away from, from everything. We define happiness is the experience of who you wanted to be. So burning your diary is, is writing off happiness. All you can be possibly now is numb. The only experience you could have from hiding is no pain. But you're not going to have joy because you wrote off your dreams. So the, the people hiding are, uh, the, the people hiding in the bushes the burning the diary is, is just so, but he, okay, let me let me just show you the next level the problem with your diary, so let me pause you for a minute let's get into some questions okay sure okay okay let's go to the first live question here we go you're up hi Rick Feldheim thank you for taking my question um so I'm so, yeah so I mean this is more of like uh I've been in both stages so the question applies to both. I've been in this stage of life where I overexerted myself to change and really pushed and sometimes even got the change, whether it was to wake up early and I really pushed and also in the stage of life where, oh, chill, calm, whatever. Um, but one thing in both situations is there's always this feeling of like it's never enough. There's never satisfaction. Maybe I have to change more. Maybe there's more I have to perfect myself. And happiness never comes because it's, it's the ocean looks so big that we're never going to get there. So how do I, how do we like appreciate the moment and the journey itself, which I mean, whichever path we take that we're, we're working on change and whether it's Amidois or Avedis Hashem or anything like that. Okay. So it's okay. It's a loaded question. It's, it's, it's huge. It's like, it's, 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 it's really where a shear like this has to go. So to pick the point that I think is, again, I don't know you personally, I don't know your journey, but uh, I can talk in general terms. I can talk about myself. Like uh, you, like you even pointed out, you work, I think you said you worked on waking up. Or is that what you, what you say, davening in the morning? Like, yeah. So I, I think like what happens is we, we, we tend to look at things like, like a little bit like, like artificial. I'm not saying you look at this, but this is, this, is, this is the way, like mitzvahs change. I'm gonna change this and then Hashem is going to reward me. Hashem is gonna change the facts of my life. I'm gonna get opportunities and gifts. Now that definitely could happen and I wanna go there. That's a later part of the talk and it's very important. But the real thing is much more central than that is, I mean, I'm talking about myself. Let me let me let me talk about myself. Because I'm going to use because I, I feel like what you said 
resonates very much with me and I'm going to give you my, my, my story. So how do, you, how do you get out of the bushes? That's your question. I use the marshal, this is the gun, or the machaver hiding in the bushes. So I'm Adam Machaver. So now I, wa- I, I want to look at the Torah and see how do Adam Machaver get out of the bushes. So Adam Machaver makes something called Chagoyrois out of fig leaves. They take fig leaves and they put on a belt of fig leaves and that somehow allows them to come out of the bushes. So if, if it's all a marshal, if it's also a marshal, so then I want to know what's the nimshal, what's the matter for all the fig I'm looking for what's my fig leaf. How am I going to come out of my bushes? How am I going to come back into my world? So, if the Yetzer Toiv is my dreams, so the real question is, is how do I recover my dreams? That's really, I'm just going to plug in the real words for what we're describing. So, from hiding in the bushes means that I'm saying whatever, or I'm burning my diary, or I'm saying you know, I'm, I'm losing my, I'm hiding from my dreams. So going back in the gun is recovering my dreams, is overcoming all those negative doubts. So the fig leaf is, and the reason we went to hide in the bushes was because we felt ashamed. So I want to know is how do I fix my shame? What was the cause? Now, the opposite of shame is pride. So why don't I feel pride? What, what am I missing? Uh, and the, the truth is, we all have, uh, I think most of us have accomplishments. You know, there are things we're doing in life that, that should make me feel proud. And, and yet I, I, I'm still in the bushes. So how come it's not working? So my muscle for that is, and this will help us figure it out, is let, let, let's say, I don't think people do this anymore, but it's a good muscle, is, is, is you want to take a bath. So when you want to take a bath, well, well before the bath, you go and you turn on the hot water, you fill up a tub. And then you come back 20 minutes later and the tub's not full because you forgot to put the stopper in the bottom. I, I, I feel like that's the story of at least my life is that I, I, I've had a lot of accomplishments. There are things I did great. There are things I'm good at. How come my tub's not getting full? Why don't these things build on each other? Or why don't they go, you know, you know can, can I say, I, I just feel like I need to say one thing. It's a little bit of a tangent, but I'm, I'm I'm going to come, it'll just make everything I'm saying more clear. You have time and you'll be, you'll appreciate it. It's just, I just had, I just had this discussion. We had, it's going to literally sound not like, not related, but it's very related is somebody was making the argument. I was by a a project inspire and we did a share on like the, the issue that people say, like, why is the firm world so against letting kids see internet and things like instead of telling kids they shouldn't see things, shouldn't we be, training them to deal with it when they saw it. That was the question. It's a decent argument. They're saying everyone's going to see inappropriate things anyway. So why are we working so hard to stop something that's inevitable? And then when they see it, they're not ready for it. We should be teaching kids how to deal with shame and seeing things inappropriate. And this is when it happens. It's a nice argument. They could even be shame shemayim often, maybe, maybe usually, whatever it is. Here was my response. My response is, is that it may be true that people will every, always see things. But what happens is when you see something inappropriate, you feel shame. The reason we feel shame is because the definition, I should really define shame. The definition of shame is the feeling you feel when you cop out. Everyone's shame is different because shame is just, I didn't live up to my own standards. Whatever I believe I should be, I, and I don't do it, I feel shame. And so, 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 I wanted to kill a dragon and get a basmelech. 
again, use my college metaphors. I wanted to carry that girl's books home from school. I wanted to mow lawns the whole summer, make enough money to buy her an ice cream. I wanted to earn her hand. I wanted to be deserving. And instead, I just clicked on something. I saw everything I ever wanted to see. I feel like a cheater and a fraud. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. This is why the Torah is so into Shemir Sainaim. You know why? What do you mean? There's no victim who's hurt by it. The victim's you. Is that you feel busha. We don't believe anything huge happens when you see something inappropriate. Something very tiny happens. You feel a little shame. But that little bit of shame is what ruins everything because you, the innocence of a child, his feelings of being deserving is, what, is the engine that allows him to dance in the gun. The second you feel shame, you lose that balance. Now you're reluctant and hesitant. You don't feel like a hero. You don't feel deserving. The problem with Shemir Sanaim is so important because, it rock, because, because you, feel, you feel deserving. What everyone, life is full of compromises and full of things that cause shame. But the first shame for most people, the, you know, the introduction to shame the, is, is, is Shemir Sanaim. You know, we, we don't cheat on your taxes till you're older. You don't cheat on tests. You don't cut the line. You don't. But the first thing, you see something inappropriate and you feel guilty because that's not the way you wanted to get there. So what happens is like this. When a child sees something, the shame runs right through his personality, unchecked, and destroys him. But if you can delay that till the kid makes a siyam on a mesecht of mishnagis, definitely a small mesecht of gemara. So now the kid worked. Every Shabbos afternoon, he, he learned with his father extra time and he finished the Masechta. So now he's proud of himself. He worked. And now if he sees something he shouldn't see, there is a response to the shame. He feels guilty and ashamed, but he also feels pride. If you can delay it another two years and he finishes Baba Kama, or three years and he finishes Baba Basra, so now when the shame comes, it, maybe it is inevitable. But if you can delay the experience of shame till the kid has something huge, so then there's an answer for it. We in the Haredi world, we don't believe that we're going to delay things forever. We're not living in la-la land. But we believe that the longer you could delay it, the more the person has accomplishments. Eventually the shame will come and he'll be able to look at it in the face and say, what do you, what do you mean? I, I, I mean, I finished shas. You know, I don't miss davening. So the shame has an, has an, has an, has an argument and he can win and he can go further and say, no, no, I had a bad day. But if it happens too early, you don't have, and you can't say that. So this, I have to do this because I wanted to show you when you're filling the tub, why doesn't the tub fill up? I did a good thing. So why don't I have a response to the things in my life that aren't good? Like, and that's, that's the real question. I, I get rid of the, the magical part of the question. Like Hashem is not giving me opportunities. I'm suffering. I'm being punished. Not being punished. I, I, I'm not embracing the gifts, the opportunities that Hashem gave me. Why am I hiding in the bushes? So I figured out for myself that, that what, why am I in the bushes? What, what's, I call it, what's your crack on the bottom of your tub? Why is the hot water in your tub not filling that you can enjoy, enjoy the, the hot bath? The hot so for me, here's what I discovered. Every Gemara I ever had in my entire life, all my years in school, the first page is perfect notes. The margins, the maram shift, and the maram, and everything. The second page is still just not as neat. 
but it's there. The third page already has some cowboys. The fourth page is architectural renderings of my dream house. The fifth page of the Gemara, I don't even know where it is. It's just not there. Every Gemara is missing. Daf Dalit, you know, Daf Hey. So what did I teach myself about Yitzhi Feldheim all my years in school? I learned that he's a smart guy. He has good kasha, but he has no stamina. He's good for four days. The crack in the bottom of my tongue is no matter what I'm good at and how good cautious I got and awards and prizes, who am I fooling myself? In the end, I'm going to bail out and it's not going to work. So I don't embrace my life. The secret to getting out of the bushes is you have to find the crack in the bottom of your tub. Everything else is not going to work if all of your stuff is draining. You may be working forever. You can go to the gym and lose 50 pounds. You can, you can do a thousand things. You have to figure out is what was the thing that you're hiding in the bushes. You need your fig leaf. Your fig leaf is covering your erva, your exposure. Where am I exposed? The fig leaf. So for me, what, 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 what worked for me and was the hardest thing for me, because the reason why I didn't finish every fifth page, because I did have a problem with stamina. And I was good at new things and exciting things. And as soon as it became regular, it lost its spark and its interest and its challenge, I fizzled out. So you know what the cure? There's two cures for that. For me, it is your problem. My cure was davening with Tzibur. Shachris in a Mokum Kavua. I, I, used to, I, 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 I was going to Satmar every morning in a different room, and that didn't do it 100%. It helped a little bit. But I finally found the shul that I sit in the exact same place every single day, in the same minion at the same time. So you reframe the way you see yourself. And I'm not a guy without stamina. Hashem knows where I'm sitting. I'm reliable and dependable. You can count on me. And it takes 40 days to redo the way you see yourself. If you don't miss a tzilo for 40 days in the same seat, in the same shul, you will start to see yourself as reliable. And you, that's the fig leaf that covers your exposure. And then you'll find that all, you don't know how many things are amazing about you and they'll all just build up because they're not draining anymore. Everything was there. It was one, it takes one crack. The secret is to identify your crack. That was my crack. And, and I want you to know this, I think, I, I, I I'm always worried I project, but I, I don't know if I'm projecting because I've heard this from a lot of people that identify with this part, what I'm telling you. There's another cure. And the other cure is, I'm not saying another cure because you shouldn't do this. You do it in addition. Chakras is dollar phase. But the other one is Dafyami. Dafyami is amazing. Because Dafyami, you see, it's not lambdas. If you get too much and you're doing taisvis and we showing them that you're undoing this benefit. I'm not saying you shouldn't. It does other great things. But there's a benefit of Dafyami where it's not an ego trip. I'm not a rock star. I'm not a guy. Dafyami means I'm consistent and reliable. It's humble. I am an Eved Hashem. Hashem knows where I'm sitting. He knows where I am from seven to eight. If you do Daf Yoimi for 40 days, you start to see yourself as reliable. See, if you make it too, too, too much longer, things, then, then you lose the reliability angle because it's wrapped up in the, in the genius side of it. You know, like the, I'm finishing Shas. This crack that I'm describing is, is a consistently consistent and needs a simple thing like chakras. And uh, you can't sit in the Mizrachvant either. It's the same thing with Bunzlamas. You have to sit in the middle of Shul. You sit in the middle of a row, in the middle of Shul, and you just become a consistent person. 
and your life changes. You'll take on challenges that you never thought you'd take on because you'll have the confidence. It's not magic. You'll excel at it because you, you believe in yourself. The reason we fail at stuff is because we live tentative and with trepidation and we're hesitant. We don't do well in business because we don't knock on the door loud enough. We don't knock on the door loud enough because we don't believe we're going to succeed. But if you don't miss a minion, right, that, and you don't miss a daf then you see yourself, I'm the most reliable guy in the room. I know I knock on this door. The guy's going to call me. I'm going to return his calls. I'm not going to flake out on him. I'm going to close a deal. It might take three months, but I'm going to make a lot of money. And they do knock, 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 knock on the next door. And then it comes to shtuchim. You'll go into the shidduch with confidence. Nobody wants to date someone who looks defensive, like they're a, 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 you know, caught in the, like a deer caught in the headlights. When you start to believe in yourself and you start to be confident, everything changes. Everybody, nobody, the guy with the fire, you get fire in your eyes, the little kid again, because you undid the shame and you reverted. That's what it means. You push the reverse button. We know exactly what, what emotional aging is. Emotional aging is the wear and tear on my pride and my feeling of deservingness that happens from compromises or weaknesses. And when we patch up that with the fig leaves, the wear and we reverse it and I'm alive and you, you, you don't know how it snowballs. You go with a shul, you're smiling, you have a look on your face, people want to schmooze with you. You never had a good schmooze. People are talking to you. Me, they're talking to me. They always talk to him. They're talking to me. They have a vibe going on. And now you talk to people, you feel unbelievable. So now you go to work and you go to Yechavrusa and you're learning. You ask a kasha because you're really in the zone. You ask the kasha. And now he goes, wow, what a kasha. So now you go to work having asked the great kasha. So I feel bad for whoever you're doing sales on that day. He's going to have to buy what you're selling. Nobody's going to overcome that feeling they have when you're on fire. This is, this is my answer. My answer is identify for you. I don't know if it's, this is your thing. Identify the crack on the bottom of your tub. You plug the tub. You haven't tried everything. You tried everything. You've been filling the tub with scalding water for hours and days and months. The issue is the crack. Find your crack. This is a lot of people's crack. Stamina. Yeah. Let's go to the next live question. You're on. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance. Uh, hi. I just want to say, I, maybe I'm feeling in a poor mode, but I had a laugh when you said that you people had burned their diaries. You know, I literally got rid of mine. <laughs> Um, I kept a journal for like 13 years. And the right, I looked back, the writing was just so cringe. I think because that certain attitude. So I, I, I guess would you say, you know, that maybe there's a certain growth. I mean, the one had I could. Is there maybe something wrong? Just accepting the reality of certain things. Um, you know, I'm not going to be the queen fairy princess. But it's not so much of a serenity in my life, but uh, you know, I, I have tried to express uh, gratitude over certain things, but there's still, I mean, it, is it incompatible with a certain, there's still a certain dissatisfaction, the contradictory things in a way, like, and you could be grateful for whatever you've done or overcome, but you still okay. feel like it's not enough or like, I, I mean, I, I don't know, just chasing after, excuse me chasing after happiness is really the the uh, solution i i um you know i i i would i don't know if that's an end in itself exactly is it i was it just 
maybe accepting reality, uh, your responsibility, like you were saying, you just going to school every minion every day for a man, of course. But I mean, do you, do you think? I mean, do you think it's normal to still feel dissatisfied? Um, yeah, or maybe, or maybe it's that part of growth that we always just want to do new things. Yeah. Okay, so, so listen, yeah. this is this is this is. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm doing something risky because you sound very intelligent and okay. articulate. So so, yeah. I I probably should be much more gentle, but mm-hmm. but I I. I you're brave. You shared this. I want to say something. That doesn't ha- what I'm saying mm-hmm. does not necessarily have to be true for you. But mm-hmm. but what you're what you, what I think you're saying. A lot of people need a response to it. The word you use when you that reading your diary was cringe. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> so cringe is cringe. Cringe is a more articulate, well-spoken way of saying an eye roll. Mm-hmm. I I think that's sad. I think your diary was magic. I I, I think you do what I do, what everyone does. And this is a good opportunity for us to shine a light on it, is that, and I wouldn't do this if I didn't get vibes of bravery from you. And I'm sorry if I'm touching something, but, 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 uh, uh, you know, it's, everything's about joy. And you never write off joy. There's not there's nothing more dangerous than cringing or eye rolls. It's basically can I tell you a story? Okay, this is a good story. I say a, light, a lighter way to say this without without mm-hmm. sounding like a heavy. I worked for an organization and I'm a little bit of a disaster. At least this was before I really dabbed every day in the same seat, mm-hmm. the same minion. So I wasn't like organized or responsible. I don't know, today it might not happen. Like but the organization. The organization had to hire a girl. Her, almost her entire job was to manage me. I never met her really. She was in the office and she would call me every day and say, Rabbi Feldheim, today you're flying to this and this city, from this and this airport at this time, you're going to this school, you're talking about this. And then she would check on me an hour later before, before the flight to make sure I was in my car and I was parking and make sure I boarded the plane and make sure, and I would always say, stop it. You're going to give yourself a nervous breakdown. I never miss a share. But you're going to get an ulcer and you're going to, so that was her job. And she was mm-hmm. so, she was nice and she did it gently, but it's like a tough job to boss around someone like twice your age. She did it with grace and she was great. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just realized this might be like a cringy story to say because people are going to get upset, mm-hmm. themselves, but I don't care. Okay. I'm, I'm a big boy. I can think, listen, listen to a story. Listen to what You'll hear why I feel like I'm the to say it. I just realized what the punchline was. Um, <laughs> I should think before I jump into pools. Here's the story. So one day the office made a huge event for a shchaydesh, and they said, "Rabbi, I felt them. Can you come down?" I my mm-hmm. my the job. My my took the job. It was understood that I was not coming into meetings. I'm not a meeting guy. It wasn't my thing. But mm-hmm. they said, "I know we don't bring you in. Come in and speak in the office for a shchaydesh. Everyone's coming." I said, "Sure, that's nice. I'll come." Mm-hmm. So I finally met this girl, and I met the girl, and she. I had been talking to her every day for two years. She was managing my day. Uh, so I said, wow. Um, she goes, oh, it's so nice to meet you finally. Where, where, do you, where are you driving from? I said, Lakewood. So she goes, oh, Fakewood? I said, oh. I said, oh, now I understand. 
I'm on the phone with you every day. You are so put together. You are so healthy. You're so organized and smart and gentle. I couldn't figure out why you're not married. I couldn't for the life of me. Why weren't you gobbled up? And then I realized what happened. I said, I I'm, I'm sure that that line, it's a great line. It's really sharp, really biting. You're like, you're like a bucher, like a guy. If you were in the dorm, we would we love those kind of lines. Like, you're great chamusa. I said, but... But I'm sure it's warranted. I'm sure you went on disaster dates with disaster guys. I probably know half of them. But, but, but you don't understand. It's it's a guy goes on a date. Life is hard. A girl is pure, and you're or you're light. You brighten up his life. He go, he needs to go on a date and see how bright you are and how happy you are. He's gonna marry you in two seconds. It's a great line. It's so sharp. That's not what he wants. He has enough darkness and biting sharpness in his life. You're his ticket to joy. You, you, you can't do that. I'm sure there's good reason and I can't undo whatever you experience. but the bitterness is dangerous. It's not you. I said, here's what you gotta do. Before you go on the next date, you gotta stand in the mirror for the date and, and just giggle. I practice giggling. And whatever he says, and I was stupid or weird, you just giggle. And fire Tyra, you giggle. He goes, it wasn't funny. He goes, it's just the way you said it. I don't know. You just giggle. We, in the restaurant, everything giggle. That's what, he, the guy will have the best date of his life. And you're not cheating because you happen to be an amazing girl. The only thing you're missing is the light that you're supposed to have. And anyway, I stopped working for that company after a while. I, I didn't see the girl. A few years later, I saw her by like a cure weekend somewhere. And she's pushing a baby carriage. And I saw her. I was so happy. I went over. I said, how does he live? And she goes, I told him, I giggled my way to the chuppah. So she told me. Now, um, we look at our lives and we cringe, so we roll our eyes. I get it. I get. I get it. I get why. I get why we say sharp lines. That line that she said was basically an eye roll. It was a cringe. It was. There's good reasons, but it. it you know what? If you're the best hider in the world, let's say you nobody rolls eyes like you. Let's say nobody cackles like you. Nobody whatever is like you. Does that work? Of course we feel empty. There, there, there's no such thing as hiding. You know, I was telling you the mirrors. Let me just go back and show you the next mirror and you'll see it very clearly. The first mirror was diaries. They don't work, you know why? Because they're flammable. So they flammable. The next mirror is parents. What's new? Now parents are not flammable, you know, unless extreme circumstances, but. I don't advocate it. Parents are not so, but you can hang up on parents and you can say nothing new and you cannot call as often as you should. So Hashem raises the ante to mirror level number three. You know what that is? Wives, women, for a man at least, from my perspective. How come every man sits by breakfast and we read the cornflakes box for the 37th time? Like I know every single major brand of cereal, every nutrient by heart, with and without a half a cup of skin milk. I own it. We don't read anything twice, definitely not three times. Why cereal all of a sudden is it so intriguing? It warrants 47 times. You know, if you have the firm brands, I can do the Heimlich maneuver in my sleep. Why is that? Because you know what's behind the cereal box? Your wife. And you know what a man sees when he looks his wife in the eyes? everything he promised when he was a chassan. And if you're not that guy that you promised me a chassan, you can't make eye contact because she's a mirror. You might not, I'm a boy, I never wrote a diary. 
you know, and I, I don't call my parents enough, so nobody's reminding me. But every time I see those eyes, I see those big eyes, like, I believe in you, I'm waiting for you, and that hurts. So what we do is we read cornflakes. So do you think that that works? How long can you read cornflakes? You know, eventually, I tell guys, you better hurry up and figure out how to move the cornflakes box. You know why? This is very hard. Because eventually, if you take too long and you remove the cornflakes box, you may see something even worse in those eyes. You might see that that look is gone and they're not even waiting anymore. They gave up on you. And that's the saddest thing. But there's, no, there's nothing gained in the cornflakes box. There's nothing gained in cringing at, at our journals. Who cares if they're childish? Princesses are not la-la land. It's not a dream of, yes, princesses are la-la land, but the dream of being valued is the realest thing in the world, you know? You articulated something in such a way that you must have picked up skills in life to see things. That's, it's, it's good, people, I talk to people all day long, people don't articulate what they're feeling or thinking well. You know, you make every conversation easier, you know? That's inspiring, it's real, we all have things to be proud of. It's, instead of watering down, our dreams and saying nothing matter, which is what most people do. So what, listen, if I believe that it was possible to roll my eyes and say whatever and solve all my pain, I, I, I'd sell it. I give speeches of how to pronounce whatever properly, you know, but it doesn't work. Every bar closes, every drug wears off, the song stops, the, the, the friends who laugh with you fall asleep, and eventually you have to deal with the silence. And then we feel empty. So the idea that the world is teaching us to hide is so terrible because they're offering us an, an answer that doesn't work. If there was such a thing as surviving in the bushes, I would never give this share. But the bushes don't work. Every bar closes. So now what? And then you feel worse another day, another year. Dig up your journal. Be proud of it. Go, look what I wrote. I was so young, you know, ahead of my time. Was that you, you're cringing. You were in fifth grade. What do you want? You know, you were a thinker. You're deep. The world needs to hear your voice, you know, and then you'll have joy. Your garden is waiting. There's a world waiting to, 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 to sit in the shade of the trees that you plant. Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's a poem. I don't know, I don't, I, I'm sure you could do both of those, but, but, but cringing at your dreams is, is, you know, that's what we're fighting in Purim, you know? Um, what, what the Purim story is against, you, you know, if you had to articulate the meaning of Purim, you know, uh, what, what, we know what Purim is? Amalek Mikra, randomness, poor lottery, it's the same thing as whatever. Amalek's cure, Amalek's like, you know, we, we like to demonize evil, like it's the worst, like it's the, the inconceivable torturing of people. Where's Amalek coming from? Amalek is just the belief that life is painful and dreams don't always come true. So therefore, you know what? We have to teach the whole world that nothing matters. It's all random. And then people won't dream anymore and they won't get hurt. Do you, we call that evil. It, 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 it is the opposite of Judaism. There are two cures for the pain of life. I have a dream and I'm not there. 
cure number one, dreams are foolish. Get the dreams, it doesn't matter. It's la la land, it's, it's, it's all random. That's Amalek. And the Jew says, no, it's so important. It's just hard, but you can, you have it, you can do it. I didn't even talk about that, but to, to find the skills, we, we have so many tools in our arsenal that allow us to find, to find our strength. You know, the, and that's, a, these are the two cures. You're hiding in the bushes. One way is to make fun of the garden, say all the negative things and just say, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter is whatever, that's Hamalik. And the Jews said, well, it matters. It does matter. It matters. I'm not there. You know what? The Hasidic Shisfarim, they distinguish between this. It's a very important idea. There's a difference between, depending who you read, like in the Balatanya, he, he calls it a difference between Atzvos and Mariras, sadness and bitterness. And Rav Nachman calls it Atzvos and Leiv Nishbar. Atzvos, sadness is bad. Mariras, bitterness is holy. What's the difference? Sadness is, I don't have this. It's just terrible. It's sad. I don't it, it's, it's living in your pain, living what you don't. If you're experiencing sadness, the danger of sadness is that it causes you to say whatever and to give up. Mariros is sadness, but a type of sadness that's not aligned with giving up. It's aligned with longing. I'm bitter means I'm, I'm craving this. I want it. Um, bitterness is the feeling that, you know, I'll show you where you see it. The, Moshe comes tomorrow to the waters that are bitter and the waters are bitter. So he wants to fix the problems of the bitter water. So he throws a tree in the water and the waters become sweet miraculously. What's the story? So I think the story is like this, can we define bitterness? Bitterness is the feeling we feel when I wanted to give, I never got a chance to give. I feel frustrated. I had so much in me to give and I never got a chance to share it. It's like, it's like, bottled up yearning that never found an avenue. So what's the cure for bitterness? Well, if the bitterness is the feeling of I wanted to give and I never got the chance. So if water is bitter, what, why would water be bitter? What did water want to do? What's water's dream? Water's dream is to irrigate plants. That's water's dream. Water wants to cause plants to grow. And that means this water never got to, to irrigate something. So when you see bitter water, you know what you do? You throw it a tree. And when the water gets its tree, it stops being bitter. That's why bitterness is holy. Bitterness is yearning, looking for a fulfillment. Sadness is, 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 is when the yearning's gone and it's just living. So sadness is usher. Bitterness is holy. Is, 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 is look for it. It will come. And... Uh, it's a heavy, it's a heavy thing, but you had a heavy question. And um, I want to see your poem. Are you a poet? That wasn't the no. That was like, I don't want to say. I, I do writing. It's in fact, uh, yeah, my, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I've digitized in our repository. <laughs> yeah, no, I do write it. Yeah, yeah, thank God. Yeah, no, I look back. I didn't thank God for any sort of accomplishments. Yeah, there's always this feeling that I didn't do enough or, or not really doing the direction societal. You know, I've always marched the beat you for drum. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't do enough. You know how I know? Well, You're still alive. 
That's if true. you did enough, you'd be gone. Yeah. Your revival has another 50 years ahead of uh, uh, Thank uh, you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Sending a poem about rereading a diary with a newfound respect and stopping to cringe and not judging your five-year-old, your 10-year-old self by yeah. your, 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 your graduate degree in literature. You know? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Okay, let's go to this uh, to this question. Okay, somebody sent in over here. Great question. Teenage girl. As a teenage girl in a mainstream school, I feel like everyone is trying to bring me down, always checking on my clothing and asking me to be quiet. I feel like I'm losing the life that I enjoy. How could I understand and cope with that? Oh wow. Oh wow. Okay. All right. You know what? This is this is one of my frustrations is that I don't get to talk in these Yakovs. You know, because uh, people consider this kind of terror a little edgy, you know. So I do, I do, I do speak in Beishakos out of Lakewood. I live in Lakewood and there's 500 of them. I have to go like to St. Louis and to Indiana and who knows where to talk in Beishakos. But, but I, I so much want to share this. Okay, so, so it's so important, you know. Um, I once did a share, you mentioned like, you know, like the rulers and the measuring and I, call it, I once gave a share called Smeas, bringing all the misconceptions to their knees. Okay, whatever. It's a play on words, but okay. I was by, I was by Project Inspire. We had a panel, great mechanchem. Everybody was an amazing panel. And someone asked the following question. Related, same as yours from a different angle. It's just good for now. It's Purim. The question was, um, Purim, Purim's Esther, Esther Malka the heroine, but yet the holiday of Purim is all about guys drinking, dancing, and the girls have no rule, no role in Purim. How's that fear? How do we explain to girls that they're that you know they're just bystanders when it comes to Purim when it's really should be their holiday? But even if it wasn't their holiday, shouldn't they have a role? What do we tell girls about Purim? But really, you can many people think you can zoom out and make that question all of Yiddishkeit. So let, let me give you crazy answer i hope i hope uh, hope you'll be generous to me as i say it and not to write it off when i'm halfway through because it's not as radical as it sounds but it's a risky thing to say but i'm gonna uh coach menachem if i say anything like that you cringe that i shouldn't have said like am i am i getting too close to the line like uh we'll like, discuss good. it we'll discuss it don't worry i'll be good don't worry okay okay so yeah, for now. What? I'm sorry. I can always just mute you. I'm not hearing clearly. It's always. I can always just mute you. Oh, you can. Mute. Okay, good. Okay, as long as that's an option. But let me say, I, I think it's appropriate. I said it by Project Inspire. It's also a very fun crowd, and there was a goggle in the crowd who gave me a kiss afterwards. So, um, so I'm a little braver. Um, the. Let's say it like this. I set up the story just to put it into context of my structure. This is the gun. We're supposed to be dancing in the gun. And instead we're hiding in the bushes. So a boy, here's a story with boys. We're Adam. Hashem put me in the gun. The gun has two places, magnificent beauty in the gun and a hiding place. Half of me wants to live in the Gan, half of me wants to go in Nihilus. My Yetzir Toiv is my dreams, my Sheifas. By the way, I never finished that thought. Like, I feel like uh, this conversation is like I share, is that I said that all Toiv is good and I never explained it. Doing something wrong is not Taiva. I don't have a Taiva to do that. When, when a kid is hanging out in front of J2, 
Is that Taiva? Because what you say to the boy is, is you used to be the biggest dreamer. Who did this to you? Who broke you? You were a dreamer. You had desires and longings and yearnings. And now you, you wanted a basmelech. You were going to get the best girl in the world. What are you doing to yourself? You wanted to be a Talmud Chacham, and now you're taking shortcuts. You wanted to be a Gvir, and now you're stealing. Those aren't desires. It's not desire to steal. It's that you gave up. You, you don't believe you're going to have it. All Averis are loss of my dreams looking for a shortcut. It's weird that we call it Taiva. It's not called Taiva. It's a cop-out. You don't cop out because desire. You cop out because you lost your desire. You don't believe your dreams will come true. And now I'm broken. So the, the goal of life is to recover your desires, to rekindle my fire. Okay, so now, back on track. It deserves a longer explanation with the whole Akdam I gave, but I'm, I'm, let's do it the way it will. Take it as it comes. So here's the story. The, a boy's in the gap. boy has a nature toif. The nature toif of a boy wants a bas melech. He wants the most regal, dignified, beautiful, holy, pure girl in the world. She's inspiring. It represents everything worth wanting. Represents ruchnius, but the yitzhar of a boy—that's that's his ambition. His yitzhar toy, his dreams, wants the most perfect, noble, good thing in the world. The problem is that the broken side of the boy, the yitzhar, his fears and insecurity, is threatened by the princess. To the degree that his dreams wants a princess, his fears hates the princess, because the princess is a threat to his chill. If he marries a princess or gets a princess, he has to go to shakras. He has to be careful how he talks, be careful what he looks at. He has to be a mensch and dignified and responsible. It's very, very daunting to marry a princess. You have to have polished brass buttons and a perfectly sparkling white tunic and your white horse has to be perfectly groomed. You have to be up at the crack of dawn. You have to fight dragons. A lot of challenges when you're facing a princess. So a lot of, so every man is torn. Half of the man wants a princess. And half of the man wants a woman who's lost a little bit her dignity and is a little bit not so demanding. And I, I, I can chill. I can sit. I can, I can do my thing. And every man is torn. The basmelech, the last thing Hashem created in the world, he created the garden and the bushes, and he put man there with two drives. The last bria is chava, the thing that is supposed to make man choose to dance in the gam. It's the picture of the shlemos and the goodness that changes his expectations and fires him up, says, I have to kill a dragon. And so again, that's a second metaphor. I'm going to give you a full metaphor in a second. But, but here's, here's, here, here's the thing. The Gemara in Hecholil, in the end of Sukkah says, the first day of Cholomayid, the worker men would go into the Beis HaMikdash and they would build something called the Great Improvement. Take and go. And the Gemara explains, Mishnah explains that what it is that they build a balcony at the base of Mikdash. Because the whole Sukkot, they had a party, a single space of Sha'eva, and they built a balcony for the women. Before that, they tried the men inside, the women outside, it says it didn't work. They tried the women inside, the men outside didn't work. They built the balcony, and everything was perfect. What's Pshat? So here's the thing I was a little afraid to say, but I came to terms with it. I read a book by a very holy id was writing about Jewish life in Europe before the war. He's a child with sons, gedolim, tzaddikim, no, nalim and yeshivas. Here's what he wrote in his book. And when I read it as a kid, I cringed. I was so embarrassed for him that he wrote this. He wrote, when I first came home from yeshiva, Vivena's modern for Yandif, to my little shtetl, my little town, and I went to shul to Davin, 
I was very cognizant as I was davening of all the girls in the balcony. I was saying, he wrote that? Like, uh, everybody's reading this. <laughs> He's an old rabbi. He's an important guy. How can he write that? And then I realized that, you know what? I also grew up in a shul in Washington Heights, a big old Yekish shul in Broyers, and we also had a balcony. I remember myself coming home from Long Beach, my first year in high school, standing outside the shul, fixing my hat perfectly tilted, making sure my titties were sticking out, careful, hanging out on my jacket, chuckling perfectly. You know why? Because the girls were in the balcony. And why is that unembarrassing to admit in front of a huge audience like this? Because let me tell you, that's not inappropriate. To a 14-year-old boy, what does he know about the Rabbeinu Shalom? The Rabbeinu Shalom is very far away. Um, unless you've suffered, and hopefully most 14-year-old boys haven't suffered yet. There are. But on most cases, a 14-year-old boy, he, he, what does he know about Hashem? Hashem is very far away. You know what is the picture of Ruchnius to a 14-year-old boy? The Bas Melech is the picture of Ruchnius to a 14-year-old boy. And when he wants a daven, because there's a girls in the balcony, that's not trust. It's not inappropriate. It's because they represent Kedusha and Tara. And he wants to be deserving. Hashem represents the Shechina in this world, is, is the Pana Yisrael. And that's what makes us want to be great. We, we, we go to war and we become Gedolim and big because we want to deserve a Basmelech. The Basmelech is the placeholder for Elekos in this world. When the boy is dabbing, this is the whole, he's not fighting the guys and showing how strong he is. He's trying to say, look, I daven to Hashem. Because that's how he gets the approval of a basmelech. That's Halig. And the husbands are doing because their wives are looking. You know why Chazal say it's a tick and gadol? It's a strange word, great improvement. I'll give you a little lumdash or diak. If something's broken, a ticket means a rectification, a great fix. Like, there's no such thing as a great fixing. Either it's fixed or it's not. You can build a great big building. Positive things can have many degrees. If something's broken, it's either fixed. It's not very fixed. There's no great. Meaning if, it's, if there's a great fixing, that means the first fixing wasn't fixed yet. So what do you mean called great improvement? If you didn't get the question, don't worry. It's not that important. But the, the, my answer is, is that the balcony is a great improvement. Because it doesn't just solve the problem of separating men and women. It's better than it was before. Because the Torah's model is the best system in the world is where the men don't see the women, but they know that the women see them. That's a Torah's model. When we know that we have to answer to the place of soul and we're being watched, then that's where we become the holiest. And that's, the, that's a great improvement. You're better off with the balcony than you would have been if they would have been totally separate. Because now the boys will be tired of will be will be sweetness and, and growth. You know, if I was a billionaire, I made a lot of money all of a sudden. You know what I would do? Everybody has their dream tzedakah. I would go around to all the shuls and claw your soul and put balconies back in them. You know what will happen if you put balconies in every shul? This is what we lost out with the loss of big shuls and shtiblach, you lost balconies. No bacher would miss davening anymore. Everybody be on time. And all the girls would leave shul knowing how powerful they were. What does a girl have to do today to feel powerful? We don't have avenues to know how powerful we are. The Torah's rules of tznias and, and mechitzas, and all, they're not there to squash anybody. It is exactly the opposite. 
the most powerful thing in the universe of Benayis Yisrael. And the world needs Benayis Yisrael. You know what? Let me show it to you the coolest way. I got all excited now. The, the whole story of the Megillah. Ahasuerus throws a party. And he throws a party and he needs Vashti to come to Keser Malchus. We all know what that means. Could, could anyone understand that? He's a king. She's the queen. I don't care if he's a low life. I don't care if he's a drunk. No king is asking his wife to degrade herself in front of commoners. I can't imagine anyone that sick or that low. So how do you explain it? So here's the secret. I started to share with this. Let's go coming full circle. I said the secret of clubs is when people go to clubs because they get darker and louder. That's why you throw parties like Ahasuerus. The party of Ahasuerus is the greatest party, the greatest club in history. A club like that is a hiding place. The problem is when you throw a party like Ahasuerus, I don't care if you spend a billion dollars. There's a big problem. You know why? Because you can't really hide. Why can't you hide? Because if there's a woman in the palace, then you can't be filled. If there's a woman, there's a queen, then everybody has to be like, my tie fixed, I'll be with silverware. You go like, no, tell her to go home, tell her to leave, we got a party, like she's doing the whole thing. Everyone's a little tatala, you can't dance. A princess ruins the vilkite. So you need Vashti to leave. Or if you're a behemoth, so they call Vashti to come to Keser Malchus. Because if I need to hide and I need to be free, then the worst thing is a dignified woman because she doesn't let. If I, if I believe I can become a prince, then I'll, that she's an inspiration. But if I don't believe I become a prince, what has to happen? We have to degrade the princess. The princess will lose her dignity, then the party can go on. It's the exact same thing as Haman with Mordechai. It's the same story. If Mordechai will bow, then Haman can face his life. His party goes on. But if Mordechai won't bow, Haman's life is worthless. If Vashti won't lose her dignity, then, then Ahasuerus's party is meaningless. The dignity of woman is what keeps the world going. And the, you can see it best by the amount of effort and creativity that goes into by broken people, by people who gave up on themselves in, in degrading women. And when Vashti refuses to degrade herself, so now what? Two choices, men will grow up and go home from the party. Not impossible. Muhan says she has to die. Because if we don't kill Vashti, if she doesn't degrade herself, then every man is gonna to have to be a tattle on a good boy the rest of his life. So every man can chill in his house. Vashti either has to agree to lose her dignity or we have to get rid of her. It's the exact same thing as if Haman wanted to kill Mordechai. If Mordechai, either he bows, and validates my lies, or we have to kill him. This is a secret. Why do Chazal say that Mamuchan is Haman? Mamuchan is the one who says, kill Vashti, and Haman's the one who says, kill, kill Mordechai. You know why? Like, why does it call Mamuchan if he's Haman? Right? The, Gemara, the Gemara says that Mamuchan, who says, kill Vashti, is really Haman. I understand it says Haman enough times in the Megillah. There's no problem with saying Haman. The Megillah has no problem adding another one. So why didn't they call him Haman again? You know what the answer is? I don't know. Maybe Muhan wasn't really Haman. What the Gemara is saying is that Mamuchan is Haman. The guy who needs to wipe that smile off the woman's face to degrade her is the same guy who needs to destroy the Jew. Because what a woman is to men is what Jews are to the world. The world treats Jews the same way the, the, the men treat the women. If we can rob her of her dignity, then the men can be free. If we can rob the Jews of his dignity, the rook. If we could silence 
all of the beauty and aspirations of the world, then we all go back to Chile. The secret of getting people out of the bushes, one, there's many secrets. So one of the secrets of them getting out of the bushes is, is to have reminders of what it looks like in the gun, how beautiful and good the gun is. And if we could silence them. So this is what my take, this is what I tell you about Benicia Israel. The girls have no idea how powerful they are. You have no role on Purim. The entire Purim is because of Benicia Israel. Every guy who's dancing and being this, he's trying to be a crazy bacher because that great bacherim, the coolest one, that's who gets a girl. You're the ones who made it all happen. There's nothing that happens in the world didn't happen because of the basmelech. If there wasn't the basmelech, everybody would be sleeping on the floor drunk. Now, I, I know my metaphor is killing dragons. Let me give you the grown-up metaphor, the Jewish metaphor. You know what the modern day killing a dragon is? How does a man tell his wife that she's a princess? The way you tell, tell a wife she's a princess is you. If you have a princess, you kill dragons. So what's, how does a Jewish man tell his wife she's a princess? There's no dragons. So how do you show her that you're a keeper? You're a warrior. You know what the modern day dragon is? It's like when you're, when you're uh, it's in the middle of the winter and there's a big snowstorm and uh, the wife wakes up and she hears the sound of the shovel scratching. It's still dark outside. And she hears the sound of the shovel scratching the driveway as he's digging his car out of the snow. It's cold outside and it's dark and she's lying in a pillow. She hears that scratching sound. She feels like a princess because the modern lens in the hand of a warrior is the shovel in the hands of a Jewish man digging his car out in the snow in the dead of a winter to go to Shachar's it's still dark outside. And his wife lies in the pillow, smiles on her face, because every scratch of that shovel on the ground says, my wife's a princess, because that's the only reason he's doing it. And this is, this, the girls have to know this, the purpose of, of Tznias. You know, I, I'll tell you, I, I once started a riot in Rutgers University with this work. It's my, one of my greatest moments, but it's not that hard actually to start a riot, an Arab riot, an Arab riot in Rutgers. It's not that hard to start an Arab riot. Somebody, am I taking too long with these answers? Like if I said Arab riot, right? That's all of a sudden I'm the family saying something intriguing. Okay, okay. So, so here's the Arab riot. A student asked me in the college, <coughs> how is Judaism different than the Taliban? You also tell women to dress up. So maybe you're not as extreme, but it's the same idea. Men telling women how to dress. That's really like a, a, a very powerful presentation of your of the, all the serious questions. Taliban light. I'm Bin Laden. So like, what's the answer? So I said, first of all, you have to understand that, that uh, just because people are doing the same thing doesn't mean they have anything in common. They can be totally opposites. Like the simplest Marshall would be, imagine there's a, a, a picture of a guy pushing someone in front of a truck on a highway. So from that snapshot of hands on the back of someone with a truck coming, you can't really tell, is he pushing him into the truck and he's a murderer or away from the truck and he's a hero? It's very important to tell the difference because they're opposite people. A lot of things are like that. The snapshot of a woman wearing some kind of dress code because, and, and men you know, being pro the dress code, you can't tell exactly what's going on. There's two opposite approaches to it. Here's my two opposite approaches. One of them is, Oh, good marshal. He's a marshal. We're all going to go on Yitz Hashem. Pesach soon. Everybody's going to go, I don't know, maybe it's a different door, but the Bronx Zoo. It's all, it's all from people serving keto super snacks to monkeys that says, when it says, don't feed the monkeys. The monkeys knee deep in matzah. 
you know? We don't read English. But in the zoo, you have cages. Why do you have cages? You have cages because the, the animals are dangerous, and we have to protect the people from the animals. That's why you have cages. Now, the same people who make the cages in the zoo, they make the cages for Fort Knox. It's the Acme Cage Company, okay? And in Fort Knox, they have the same cages. Instead of gorillas in the cages, they have gold. Now, the reason over there for the cage is because not to protect the people outside what's inside, to protect what's inside from what's outside is we're protecting the gold from the people. The same cage, but they're two opposite purposes. So this is my muscle. In Islam, the reason for tzniyas is the following, that we think the beauty of women is gonna corrupt the feeble minds of men. And the men are gonna see the beautiful women, their whole brains are gonna be destroyed. They're gonna be mauled by the wild, by the gorilla of beauty. Beauty is gonna destroy this innocent, feeble male, male mind, and the men are gonna get destroyed. And therefore we have to, Make sure the beauty is covered up in jail, in bars, squelch the beauty to protect the minds of men. And that's the approach in, in, in Islam. Now, to be fair, there are many Jews who think that the same thing in Judaism. We're worried that many... We'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait. Give me a second. Frozen. Oh. We're good? Yeah, continue. You lost me somewhere? I, I skipped some words, fell through? Or... Yeah, yeah. Continue. Okay, so so I'm saying in Islam, the reason for tzniyas in Islam is that we're worried that the beauty of women is going to destroy the weak minds of men. And therefore, we have to cover up the woman to protect the man. It's like putting a gorilla in a cage to protect the bystanders. The men, the weak minds of men may be hurt by the beauty of women. Therefore, we have to squelch and cover up their beauty. That's what we think. Now, that's what Islam believes. Now, many people believe that Judaism believes exactly the same thing. And if that's what you think, then you have a right to be upset. Because the men are weak, the women have to be covered up. But that has nothing to do with Judaism. That's Islam. And anyone who's teaching that is teaching an Islamic view of tzniyas. The reason why we suggest, why we have laws of tzniyas is not to protect the men from the women. It's to protect the dignity of the woman. The pasuk of tzniyas is called kavuda bas melech penima. It's about her dignity. Is that this woman has nothing to prove. She's royalty. In Islam, the reason for Sneas is to protect the men. Okay, we're locking her up so the men. In Judaism, we say for a man, learn Musar, go to the mikvah, get a Rebbe, and get your head on, on straight. We do have rules of Sneas because the woman, the, the worst word for Sneas is modesty. Modesty sounds weak, like meek. Be weak. The Torah's word for Sneas is Oiz is strength. You know what Sneha says? I don't need you to look at me. Baruch Hashem, I already voted. I know my value. It's not meekness. There's nothing stronger than that. When the woman walks into a room and she's confident, the entire world feels her power. We're not covering up women to protect men. When a woman needs, to, needs a man's recognition, a woman's on TikTok or on Instagram looking for followers, what she's saying is, is that I don't value myself. If you vote for me, then I'll feel good. The more likes I get, the better I'll feel. 
But if someone knows their value, it's they can be gracious if somebody claps for them, but it's like, thank you. Sorry, I already voted. You know, I hope I'm happy to feel good, but I don't need it. Sneas is always, it's powerful. But I think the way we said it is the way it should be pictured. And it's, it's, uh, if, the work, no, no, it's good. It's good. It's good. I, you know, I, I have a lot to say on it, but I, I you know, it's not a, it's not a show on sneakers. So let's, let's cover as many things as we can. It was it clear? I mean, let you think it was, it, it got the point across. So I, I think I could have done a little better, but it right. it's good enough for now. Okay. You're on. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Boy, you're making us feel very powerful tonight. And if you're going to make us feel so powerful and you're telling us about this absolutely fantastic journey we're on, you touched a little bit on how men should be happy while they're on their journey. Can you give us some guidelines on how a woman should remain happy while she's on this journey of accomplishing what she's supposed to? Okay, wow. All right, so, so, so okay, unfortunately, most of my experience has been as a man. <laughs> so so it's, uh, I, I can theorize a little bit, but, uh, you know, most of what I do in my shurim, actually, I know the therapists and the coaches might not like this, but most of what I do is projecting. I know what I feel. Like, you know, I'm getting all this marriage advice. And I was like, I learned everything in my life I know from the hard way. I don't want to sound like any guru of relationships. Halavai, uh, I would have learned one lesson in my life, like the proper way from my rebellion. I had to get patched. Everything I learned, I learned from, I wanted to write a book even called like Shalom, Shalom Bias Advice from the Doghouse. I think it's like the best title ever. Like you would like, who wouldn't buy that book? But we learn things from Sarah. So I, most of the stuff I teach is, is learning Torah with the eyes that I got from my life experiences. And my, my Torah on, on women is, is going to be a little more shallow and a little lacking because I don't have the, you know, the insight of having lived, you know, 50 years of that experience. But I, 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 can, I can share with you a few things. Um, first, let, 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 let me, I sort of, because of the question and answer nature of this kind of thing, you end up talking about things out of here. Any men-woman discussion needs one important introduction to talk about it in any enlightened way. And that is to understand that the Torah's perspective on the difference of men and women is not in the house and outside the house or intellectual and emotional. These are all maybe, yeah, maybe not. The Torah's distinction between men and women is that there's two versions of Elikos. Hashem created mankind, Selim Elikim. We're all made in the image of God. We're all godly, but there's two versions of godliness. There's something called Kedusha and something called Tahara. And we use these things as synonyms, but they're not the same. They're opposites. A man's job in life is to become Kaddish, and a woman's job is Tara. And together we're Kaddish and Tahar, and that's godly. So if we can wrap our heads around Kaddish and Tara, then the woman and the man can both understand their trip on the journey. Kedusha is, is you become Kaddish. The natural state is choyl, is mundane, and you makadesh something. You achieve kedusha. You don't achieve tahara, you preserve tahara. Tahara is pure, pristine. There's one, they're both godly, but it's two different journeys to godliness. If Hashem is here and we're here, so the journey up the ladder is called becoming kadesh, and the journey 
um, the, fen, the when you're ready, veer is tahar and you preserve tara. We believe that a woman is already born godly. Meaning every trait of elikos that Torah uses, a girl has the moment she's born. Loving, patient, kind, selfless, giving, deep, sensitive, sharing, you know, these kind of, and the man is born with the absence of those traits. Arrogant, lazy, selfish, lustful. Now, it doesn't mean he's a Russian and she's a Vegas. A man is not punished for being born like that because he was born like that. The man will be judged. By how many rungs did you climb up the ladder in your years? Are you where you started or how high did you get? And the woman will be, won't not be rewarded for being God because she was born that way. She'll be judged by how many rungs did you defend on your ladder? Or did they succeed at schlepping you down and degrading you? It's a totally different perspective. When you understand this perspective, then we can start to wrap our heads around it. And therefore, for, that's why men have all the mitzvahs asay. The mitzvahs asay are the rungs up the ladder. Do this. You have to become this, become that, become this. The women don't have mitzvahs. Many of the mitzvahs asay, not because Hashem is being prejudiced. And it's because the mitzvahs asay are the rungs up the ladder. The woman's already up the ladder. She doesn't... She doesn't need them because she's already there. She has all the says, don't fall. Now, so the man, his journey is, that's why he needs ambition, all these drives. Because the thing that will allow a man to climb, climb the ladder is his ambition. And, and, and that's, that's what will drive him to, to become great. The woman has to have totally different drives. I don't, I don't know if this is the place, the long shmooze, the men, women, stuff is a long shmooze. But this Kedushan Tara, let, let's leave it at that. The Kedushan Tara is very powerful. Once you understand this, so now we can try and understand what is the experience of somebody who's tar? And you have to, you have to experience the beauty of your matanis. You know, a man, the beauty he feels is, is his passion, is his excitement, his she'ifas. The drive is what gets him going. And he has to be able to embrace Shifas. And from a young age, we're encouraged to be driven because that's his gift. The, the woman, there's a certain kind of sedate clarity that, that, that she experiences being tar. There's a, there's, there's a feeling of being, I have a couple of good proofs. Maybe the proofs will be, let me, let me, let me say a little more and I'm gonna show you a proof or two. That will, the proofs itself will, will give you insight. Um, I haven't done those things in years. That was like the old philosophy stuff I used to do in the colleges before it got real. But let me let me say this: what a woman experiences at being at, at, at the, in her journey, her validation is the recognition, first of all, of of the effect that she has on those around her. Like I said in the balcony, when you know that the guy is your husband is is davening daven better because you're watching. When the girl knows that Bachram are Davni because the girl's a snua and is regal, she's not cheap. So that that's the greatest validation in the world. And that you feel your power. It's it, the princess is a hard life. You have to wear these white gloves even in July in the hot sun. But it's worth it because when they walk through their country, they, they see everything happening and all of the industry, and they know it's because of what they represent. And this is what provides the impetus. A girl has a endless feedback, as long as she's tar, endless feedback that validates who she is. This is why, you know, when a, when a guy misses Shachris, why? I tell guys like that's the secret, the first step to losing Shalomites, to losing the respect of your wife. You know why? Because the guy thinks he's just tired. I'm tired. but. What's the translation in the wife's mind? 
when the guy misses Shachris. If a prince, how do you tell your wife she, she's a princess? See, if a man has ambition, this is Yetzir Toiv, and his fears and laziness, this is Yetzir Sahara, and the princess makes you choose to be big. So how do you tell a woman that she's a princess? By choosing your ambition. Every time a man grows and does something great, what he's really saying is, my wife is inspiring. And the wife knows that. Every time he grows, every time he's in control, every time he learns, she feels, wow, look what I'm doing. But when he misses chakras, he lies in bed. He thinks he's missing chakras. What is, he tell, what is she hearing? He's saying that you're not inspiring. It's an insult. There's a shtach in it. And he doesn't even realize he's saying it. And maybe she doesn't even, only subconsciously she knows it. But that's why these things are so huge. Because we know this stuff and the implications in our lives are huge statements being made. There's nothing more powerful than when a man is growing. He validates his wife. You're telling her she's a, you can say you're a princess, but that, that's just words. When you wake out of, out of bed before it's light, you're screaming that she's a princess on top of your lungs. You're putting your light. It's not words, not flowers. It's worth a thousand flowers. And so, so this, this is something that, that again, I, I can't speak for women, but, but I, I can imagine it must be the most powerful thing to sit there and watch your people going to shul and sitting there knowing that it's all me. To sit in the balcony and watching a Purim party and saying it's all me. It's endless feedback every single day. They have the sparkle in their eyes, and the bounce in their steps, and every note that your son put in his Gemara, it's because mommy's a princess. Because he's a picture of something to live for. You know what the proof is? The people who don't have a mother or bas melech or a sister or a bas melech, they're drinking and they're chilling and they, they've just given up on life. In our world, this, it, what separates our world from their world is this one thing, is the Basmalach. And of course, it's also the boys, but the boys are the boys because of the Basmalach. That's, that, 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 that's one of the validations. But let me just give you one of the, I'll give you one of my proofs. Because the proofs itself provide, provide a certain clarity. I, I like to, because when I tell this to college students, like there's, there's nothing worse in a logical world to say that men and women are opposites. <laughs> we're totally the same. Like there's no other, to say we're different is already a chiddush. Say we're opposites is inconceivable. So I have to prove it. So I'll give you two of my proofs, fast. Proof number one, it's a little subtle, but it's like guys love the compliment. You tell the guy, you got potential. Guys love it. We love hearing you got potential. Let me warn you, don't ever try that on a girl, right? You tell a girl she has potential, you better have Bulletproof glass. Uh, it's a, there's a silent audience. When I say this in college, everybody cringe. Like they get it. Like, oh my God, don't you dare say that. Why would that be? How could the same compliment have totally different reactions on a man or woman? Because a man has no expectations that he's perfect. He, he's, he, he's here. He's got to get there. The greatest compliment of a man is that you have potential. You're a geeber. You are going to be an unbelievable climber. You're going to get up this ladder quicker than anybody else. Potential says that you who are now choyl have the greatest chance of becoming Kaddish. Men love that. But tell a girl she has potential. What are you saying? See, it's weird because potential is a great compliment. Unless what? If you're insulted by potential, so then what does that mean? Isn't that mean you could be great? There's only one logical explanation for the word potential being an insult. 
This is the problem with a silent audience. You need like participation, but I'll say, I'll speak for both sides. What is the only logical explanation for potential being an insult? You know what it is? Is you have to believe you're already perfect. Because if I'm very good, I still have potential. I could be amazing and still have potential. If potential is insulting, means I believed I'm perfect. And so what is it? It's because, so that means every girl, she doesn't like being told she has potential. It means she thinks she's perfect. Well, yeah, because <laughs> the Torah believes that you're already godly. Perfect means godly, and you are. If I'm saying you have potential, then what am I saying? That I, th I think you slip, but you have a good chance of getting back up. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's you know, women take themselves for granted, but the expectation of, of the feeling of, of being there, you live with that. It's, it's a real thing. And the proof is that, insult, that it's insulting to be told that you're, that you're, it's, it's, it's insulting to be told that, you're, that, you're, that you have potential, which to a man is the greatest compliment potential. To you, it's an insult. You have to realize where you are. Let me give you my last proof. This, this is part of a big share, but the last proof is very compelling. When I'm proving this to college students, this is my checkmate. But I'm proving that men are, see themselves as, as here and having to climb, and women see themselves as here and defending and they shouldn't fall. When you speak, this is my proof. I say, when you talk to people, when you watch a movie, you read a book, or anything that you're reading, deals with couple that doesn't have shalom bias. So the therapist is sitting there, and they're both talking. Here's what they say. He asks the, the woman, so what's your problem? You know what she says? It's a cliche already. She goes, married 20 years. He didn't change one thing. Not one thing in 20 years. Then they turn to the guy and they go, okay, Sadiqal, what's your problem? He goes, she's not the woman I married. Let's analyze these two quotes. When you say we're married 20 years, you didn't change one thing. That means what was your expectation? That he was going to grow and change. And he didn't. He let me down. When you say she's not the woman I married, what was your expectation? That she was going to stay exactly where she was and she didn't. This isn't the Torah quote. This isn't the front quote. This is a secular quote in every single movie and Sean Bias ever made. That means every single person, they talk a good game that they're all the same. But when it comes down to real life, they're masking that they're opposites. Every woman says he didn't change one thing. They married him expecting him to change. He, I married him because he had potential and he was going to become great. I saw he was a star in the making. And every man married his wife saying, princess. And she's going to stay like that forever. And she didn't. Our expectations is everyone knows this, that women are holy and men are full of potential. And, uh, and everybody has to learn to appreciate their, their gifts. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very powerful to be holy. Okay, it's it's yeah. yeah. It's getting late. So we'll throw out another question. Sure. That's okay. This is somebody sent in. I'm going through a lot of personal hardship and I feel like giving up and letting go. Why doesn't that make sense? And at what point doesn't what does what, at what point doesn't make sense to let go? Every day there's another issue. How many times do I need to keep falling on my face? Okay. Okay, so so you know what? So I, 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 you probably don't have that much time left. So I want to share an important message here. The first thing is this question, a lot of what we discussed is like this, but I want to add the I think something very important that. When you get when you when you talk too much psychology and you're too rational, 
and you explain things that are they're in our hands too much, something's lost. So let me just say two sentences in the light of what we've been saying and then add the new step. The, the thing we've been saying is, is that what is giving up gonna do you, right? It's, it's, it, 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 it's just, there's a gun. And it, the, if you're gonna be in, you, giving up means I wanna stay, I wanna stay in the bushes. I want to continue to hide. What, what, if it would work, I would be the first one to sign off on it. If you can live the rest of your life numb and feel no pain, fine. But it's not going to happen. Every day we just feel worse. See, I'll tell you, I, I learned this thing about myself also. I, I used to go, I daven in Sam before I got my muck and kavu and daven every day in the same spot. I used to daven every day in a different room in Sam. And I noticed something weird. Something scary when I realized it is that I would never go, there's always a minion. The Sotman is like five rooms, a new minion starting every two minutes. I always went to the minion that was like by Barashama already, or even Ashray. There's a minion starting brachas in two minutes. There's always one every five minutes. Like, why can't I go to the minion that's starting right now? And the answer is because if, if, I, go, if, I, if I go to the minion that's starting now, then I'm caught up and I have to be present for an hour and face, face the truth in the silence. If I go to the one that's already five minutes in, then all I have to do is read Hebrew really fast for an hour. I can hide from my life. This is why we push snooze buttons. Nobody believes that five minutes of, of sleep is worth being late the whole day. It's that we dafka need to be late. If I'm on time, then I have to be present the whole day and I have to think of my life. It's like reading my diary. It's like taking away the cornflakes box. But if I'm five minutes late, then I'm always running. I never have to think. And if I can live my whole day running late and then go after whatever I'm doing and go stay up late and drink and fall asleep when I hit the bed, never be, never be in the bed awake because then you have to think. But I have to fall asleep, go to bed only when I'm tired. And so I'm late a whole day. And then I go to sleep tired. And I wake up in the morning, push a snooze button and do the next thing. Rinse and repeat every day for 80 years. I can hide from my life forever. But the problem is there's always silence. You can't do that. It doesn't work. There's always going to be cracks in, in, in your schedule, moments where it's quiet, and then the pain comes rushing in, and the new shame of all the new opportunities you missed and all the new hidings doesn't work. So that's my answer that I've been saying all along. But I, I, I you know, we can't do everything one day. I wanted to spend more time on cures. So I'm going to, this is the end. I want to end off with, with, with a whole, whole new way to talk about it. Purim is about Nisim. So the way I used to think about Nisim was as follows, is that really Hashem wants us to do things ourselves. You know, I used to take college students to Israel on trips. We would always climb Masada. So it's very hard to climb Masada. You get to the top, you feel like a million dollars. There's always one kid in every group who takes the cable car up Masada. And the, the, that guy always... You know, you can always tell which guy it is at the top. Even if he pours his canteen on his head to look all schwitzed up so no one knows he took the cable car. But in the group picture, you can always tell. He's either the guy on the side, like all meek and feels he doesn't belong, or more likely he's the guy in the middle being overly dramatic and overcompensating. And you can tell it's so overly dramatic that he's the faker. You can always tell the guy who didn't climb because really he's ashamed that he took a shortcut. But it is the secret of why the solid the malwis al mizbahi. What it means that you have to have a ramp for the Mizbeach and the Beis Amigdosh so that you shouldn't be exposed. The Kayin is wearing pants. There's no exposure. You know what it means? It means when you climb up your altar 
everyone's life is an offering to Hashem. Your life is a carbon. If you get to your carbon by a ramp, means you hit every step along the way, then you're never exposed. There's no secrets. You didn't cheat. You feel like a shalim. But if you took cable cars, you took jumps, steers or jumps, you didn't hit every spot, then you're exposed because you didn't really do the whole thing and you feel shame. means that if you want to serve Hashem, your offering has to come as a ramp. Do the whole thing yourself and there's no shame at the top of you. You're not exposed. There's no erva exposed. That's what Chazal means. That's what the Pesach means, I think, on some level. So I used to think that that's the point of life. Hashem wants you to earn your way, to, to use all your skills and become the best person you could be. That's Hashem's goal. But that sometimes I'm broken or I can't, it's too hard. So there's something called Rachamin and Hashem created something called Nisim. Nisim is that you don't have to do it yourself. You're not doing it out piteva with your skills. I'll catch you. My muscle is you, you want to be a, you want to walk the tightrope of life and do flips. You want to be a star in the circus of life and get all the clapping and all the tension, but it's very risky. So I should, we put a safety net under the tightrope and that'll catch you when you fall. And that's how I always thought of Nisan, that l'chadchila, you should do it yourself. You shouldn't be soy mechalanes, you should try and do it yourself. And when you do it yourself, you feel no shame. Or Hashem will catch you when you fall and he'll do Nisim, and you'll get there. The problem with Nisim is it's called Nama de Kisufa. It's bread of shame. You didn't get it by the sweat of your brow. Hashem carried you. But at least you get done. So there was, I always thought there's two modes. There's the way you do it yourself. That's what Hashem wanted. Dance in the gam. Eat the fruits of your labor. Be proud. And then there's the other way, which is Hashem will catch you when you fall. Now that's a nice plan. And that's that Nisim are... Our, our, our safety net. The problem is it doesn't really fit with Yiddishkeit. We talk far more about Nisim than we would if it's just a safety net. If it's just a safety net, like a last resort, we'd say, but there's Nisim. But the whole Yiddishkeit is Nisim. We had Makas and Kriyas Yamsov and Mon even before we ever saw a tightrope. We didn't try and settle Eretz Yisrael Hashem caught us. Before we even tried, he's already carrying us. Nisim are far larger in Torah than than a safety net. The more you think about it, the more we read about it, everything is Hashem and Elikeinu. Hashem is Nisim, Elikeinu is Din. We don't, it would be Elikeinu, 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 and then once in a while Hashem. But instead it's Hashem Elikeinu. Hashem comes before Elikeinu, you know? Uh, there's also Hashem Elikeinu, Hashem, Hashem afterwards. That's a safety net maybe. But what's the Hashem before the Elikeinu? Why do we talk about Nisim before trying it yourself? Obviously we're misunderstanding Nisim if there is safety net. So here's the answer. Uh, for me, this was life-changing. The answer is, is that, you know what the purpose of a safety net is? Why do people struggle in life? Why, why don't we succeed in life? The belief that Hashem is a native means that Hashem created this world for my success. He didn't create me to fail. It means that the dreams that he gave me are within my reach. It's not cruel. Hashem made me to succeed. So that means I can do this. So why am I not? There's two reasons why people are, are failing or not succeeding at their tightrope. Like we can all walk straight line on the ground. So why can I do it 50 feet in the air? It's the same straight line. The answer why we're not successful, when we're not successful, is not because we don't have the skills. There's two reasons. Similar reasons, but they're a little bit different. 
Number one is I'm afraid to fall, so I will not try. Most people will not even try the things that they dreamt of because they're afraid to risk falling. And they'd rather not try than break their hearts trying. It's too risky for me to try. I'm going to be devastated, so I'm not going to try. At least now I know, don't know what will happen. Most people wait in the sidelines and never approach their tight ropes. That's many people. Another way we don't succeed is that we actually try walking the tightrope. But because we're scared, we weren't so scared that we didn't try. Because I'm scared, I'm tentative and reluctant, and I'm shaking as I walk. And we don't walk the tightrope the way we could have because we're scared. The fear of embracing our dreams cripples us in two ways. One is for many people, we never try. And the majority of us try, but we try such so half-heartedly and so reluctantly that we, there's no chance of succeeding. If you would be all in, you have what it takes, but we're not all in, either zero in or partially in. So what is the, what is the cure for this? The safety net. You know what the goal of the safety net is? The reason for the safety net is not to catch you when you fall. It's that when there's a safety net, then you're not going to be scared and you're going to walk across it with all of your strength and you're going to dance across the, the, the finish line. The reason Hashem creates Nisan, the knowledge that Hashem makes Nisan should allow me not to rely on the nace. I need to know Nisan first. First, we speak about Nisan. When we realize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu can take the Yidin in one second, you don't even know what's happening from Machashveirish and Haman, and one second, we're going to be wiped out. Two minutes later, Mordechai is the king, is, is running the show, Haman's hung, Esther's the Malka, everything changed. When you realize things happen like this, then you're not scared of the tightrope, and now you can be all in. You can face LA Kim when you know that there's, a, that there's the Rebbeinah Shalom. When you know that there's Nisan, you can face Teva. The secret of Nisim, the idea that HaKadosh Baruch Hu could do anything. And this is why Chazal added Purim. The, all the Yom Toivim of the year were about living in the Gan. Hashem told you there's a Gan, and that you can live in the Gan. And we know in the Gan that there's Pesach, and there's Sukkot, and there's Shavuos, and Hashem can do this and that, or take care of you, you're going to get there. But Chazal realized that people knew how beautiful the Gan was, and how beautiful the dreams were, and how strong they were, and they're still scared. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu created Purim, which tells you that it's a safety net. I'm going to catch you when you fall. No matter what happens, you're not going to splatter on the ground. When you know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu can catch you when you fall, then you don't need him to catch you because then you will walk bravely on the tightrope and you'll jump and you'll flip. You're going to be all in. If you put all your kachas in, you will succeed. It's the tentative reluctance and the hesitancy that causes us to fall. So there's two, two Yom Toivim that Hashem added to the Chazal added. Chanukah and Purim. Purim is the safety net that Hashem is going to catch you when you fall. If you assimilate this into your mind, then most of your fear should go away. If you believe that Hashem is going to catch you, so what are you scared of? You're not going to splatter. I can try. A th the reason I'm afraid to try is that every time I try, I splatter. I get broken again. I break my heart. If you know the Rebbe Hashem is going to catch you, then you'll be fearless. That's number one. The reason why you fall is because you weren't fearless and you were tentative. The second you trust Hashem, you won't be tentative and then you won't fall. Okay, what's the other nace? This one type of nace is the defensive nace. Hashem catches you when you fall. But you know what? For some people, even that isn't enough. Meaning, I know the Ghana is beautiful, and I know I'm capable. I still can't do it. I'm afraid I'm going to fall. Now we add one new fact. No, there's a safety that you're not going to fall. So now, what's the crack? How could I not be motivated now? It's a beautiful Ghana. I have skills, and Hashem's going to catch me when I fall. 
Chazal realized one more yontif was necessary. You know what? You know what? Is there any way out of being motivated with all that information? Still one way out. You can say, okay, the God is beautiful. I'm strong. Hashem will catch me when I fall. But, but what's going to happen? So I'm going to buy this. I'm going to sell it for 15% more. And I'm going to make $15 on my $100. That's not inspiring enough. Yes, I'll be successful. But if the success is incremental growth, it's too slow. It's not... It's not bright enough. It's not exciting enough. There's a safety that I won't fall. I won't lose money. But how much am I going to make? You have a defensive maze that will catch me. But the upside is too low. So what did Chazal do? They added Chanukah. You know what Chanukah teaches us? It's the other maze. Purim says, I'm going to catch you when you fall. Chanukah says, whatever you do is multiplied eight times. The, the math, the, what your accomplishments, is, it's exponential. These are the two additions that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us in Hanukkah and Purim, Chazal added to the calendar. The goal of Kolat HaRukula is to dance in the Gan. That's the goal. To dance in the Gan, but we're scared, we're in the bushes, we're curled up and we're hiding, we're playing hide and seek and we're afraid to come out of the Gan. You have to know two things. Read the Megillah and discover that if you live your life the fullest and you dance on the tightrope, you're not gonna, if, you, if you fall, Hashem will catch you. Nothing bad's going to happen. It's a lot of fun to balance in the safety net. When you know it's there, you can you can choose to bounce in it. It's just fun to bounce, like a trampoline. You're just bouncing. The second ace is not only is there a safety net, but it's also a trampoline. Whatever you do is multiplied exponentially. You 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 you, you take a job. It, it sounds like it makes twenty dollars an hour, but if you do it with with your confidence that you know you're going to be caught if you fall then you're going to be lichtig and the customers are going to love you and everyone's going to ask for you and your boss is going to say, he's got something. I'm going to make him a manager. And then I was a new, to open a new store. He's going to say, I want you to run the new store. And then he's going to say, you know what? I'm going to make you a shutif in the new store. You could be making, you could be the boss. You could be the gvir. In matter of moments, Hanukkah tells us, it's not Hanukkah, but Hanukkah and Purim are Chazal's additions to, to, to the Yom Tov. The Rabbi Nishan gave us Hanukkah. There's the beauty of the Gan, then there's a Satan net in the Gan and a trampoline in the Gan. Everything you do will be exponential. The belief in Nisan is what animates our lives. Kishem Hashem Ekra When we the fact that we can cry out the name of Hashem, that Hashem can do Nisan, allows me to face Elikim. I can face Teva, like I can face my job in my life because I know Hashem's going to catch me and he's going to multiply what I'm accomplishing. That, and that's why we should keep on trying. The math that you're making in your head is faulty math. It's L.A. Kim math. And we don't believe in only L.A. Kim. We believe in Hashem L.A. Kim. Hashem created a magnificent world. Everything works. It's perfect justice. But bottom line is Hashem wrote this world. And Hashem can change it in two seconds and he can write the script differently. And if you're having trouble with this script, he can make a script when you're the rock star. That's what L.A. Kim, that's what Hashem is. Hashem is the boire of the whole Bria. And even though the Bria is fair and created for your benefit, Hashem can change it and make it, make it even easier for if you're, you know, this is what we say. We say, Hashem, I know you made a beautiful God. I know we'll have to do his work. I'm just too broken. So Hashem says, I can catch you and I can carry you. And you shouldn't just use that as, a, as when you're, as, as, as when it's necessary for Hashem to carry you. The real purpose of Hashem's mercy is not to catch you and to carry you when you're broken. It's to tell you, you don't have to be broken. I can, I, I the fact that I'll catch you and carry you and multiply what you do should allow you to live with fire. You should never need me to catch you. 
you should be the trailblazer and be catching other people and helping everybody else. Okay, let's go to closing. I'm going to wrap it up. I think we'll think something to wrap up this two and a half hours of uh, Purim. And, uh, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't say anything I wanted to say. I know, I know. We didn't even start yet. <laughs> Okay, so first of all, uh, I'm going to review something that's coming on tonight. I need more practice. I need more practice at this format. But, uh, one second. Um, give me a second. Yeah. Give me a second. First of all, I'm going to review something that's coming on tonight. I'm giving us a lot of chizik and last minute. Really appreciate it. Again, tonight's share is 135. If anybody wants to join the WhatsApp, uh, get the flyers every week, WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Save my number and I'll leave you the flyer every Sunday. If you want, you can also go Sign up by menachemberfeld.com and get the weekly flyer, the information, the replays. I'm sure everything tonight will be uploaded later tonight, uh, YouTube and all the podcasts and everything. Again, for anybody who's here the first time, every Sunday at 9.30, the Zoom ID. We have different topics, the front button, tremendous things. And uh, next next week after for me, I actually have a very interesting topic. should be very helpful for a lot of people. Uh, March 12th, we're going to be an amazing show with Robert J. Bernstein and Nachum Mansov. They both specialize in children with autism on the spectrum. And it's going to be, you know, talking about all the types of autism and just general things. The topic is understanding the misunderstood, helping your loved one on the autism spectrum. So they said everybody should join, even regular people that are not in the parasha should join. There's a lot of parenting tips that they that they they learned. Robert uh, Robert Bernstein wrote, wrote a few books, and he's he's like the monk in this whole parasha. So let people know about it. It'll be very helpful to a lot of people. Everybody should have a free for him. Again, um, so everything's recorded on shalomvielmenachemberfold.com. If anybody has any questions or anything, any comments, please email coachmenachem at gmail.com. Tonight's share is 135. And if you want to lines, it'll be up later tonight. The number is 848-777-GROW. That's 848-777-GROW. Rabbi Yitzchak, do you have an email if people want to contact you? Is there any way they can contact you? Yeah, yeah. RabbiFeldheim at gmail.com. But I'm a little low, I'm a little low tech. I look at it like once a week. But I, I I if you leave a phone number, whatever, we can figure out how to, how to talk. Okay, so that's that's Rabbi Feldheim, F-E-L-D-H-E-I-M at gmail.com. Yes. Advertising sponsors like the scoop, Elliot Ariel from Five Pound Central, Kyla Kaufman from JC promoting us on all the Jewish platforms. Uh tonight was so deep and so powerful. Like I gotta listen to it a few times. It was just so, so, so deep, and I feel like we didn't. I know. Can I end off with a, one, one last thought? I get yeah, a last thought. I'm gonna give you. Whoa, relax. Whoa. Okay. Got I, I, it's a great audience. I, I'm you know they call you. They call you the the mic the mic hogger. <laughs> give it a second. <laughs> okay, Ravanafa. Wrap up. Go to closing, and then Mitchum will give the floor to Ravitzak to wrap up the whole two and a half hours. In, in a close, we're Coach Menachem. Let's go. Yeah, Vitzvah, you did it again. Taka very deep, and it's something that you have to listen to it again and again. But I do want to thank you for a lot of physics, a lot of perspective, changing perspective, to look at things differently, to be able to understand that we live in the Gan and to see what are bushes, you know, everybody with their own things what they're trying not to see, trying to hide, which is amazing, and we'll have to listen to it again. I want to wish everyone a friend from Purim, and we should be able to be there, experience it. We shouldn't have to hide, come out. If it's hard, just peek out a little bit slowly, and eventually come out more and more. So, for giving us the time and the physics. Please leave us with deep inspiration. Okay, let me give you, let me give you, let me leave you one. One, one, one last message. 
it's a, it's a it's a philosophical question, but with a psychological answer. So if you don't like the question, ignore the question. Just listen to the terrors. The question is, is that if we're all made in the Tzelem Elikim, in the image of Hashem, so Hashem is Hashem. There's one God. Hashem is Echad. So how could we all be different if we're all made in the Tzelem Elikim? It's an interesting philosophical question to think about. Meaning if you make something in a mold and a hundred things out of the mold, then they're all going to look the same. You clone something, you make it in the mold, every, the, no matter how many you make, they're identical. If we're made in the mold of Hashem, we should all be the same. That's the question. So I have a, a quick answer that sounds nice, but it's wrong. And I'll tell you the true answer. The Havamina, the mistaken answer that I first thought is Nesefi Yitzira, he talks about the Bria of the world. Everything in the world was Chokak Kotzevakis. Hashem chiseled everything in the world was made through chiseling. Chiseling is like the Luchais, we're Chakukim. It's chiseled. Chisel means you talk with a block of stone and you hammer away at it. You chisel off the stone and I'm left with what I made. So in America, we have a mountain called Mount Rushmore. It has all the four presidents, Jefferson, Lincoln, Washington, they're all carved into the mountain. The artist who came to Mount Rushmore, when he first looked at the mountain, which president do you think was in the mountain before he carved it? It's a strange question, but before he carved it, it could be anybody. It was infinite potential. It's a block of stone. He could have made anyone he wanted to. It's only now that he chiseled away and he made people already. So now you're limited. If I want to make someone new, he has to have a smaller nose than Jefferson because there's no more room. If his nose is bigger, it's too late. He's got to have smaller features than the person who's already there. So this is how I first thought is the answer to the question. When we say we're all made B'Tselem Elikim, it means we're all a block of granite. That's the godliness, pure godliness. What makes me and you different is not my godliness, is that each of us had other things chiseled off of us. You were chiseled this way and I was chiseled this way. I went through this experience in elementary school and I wasn't accepted in this yeshiva and this shadchan didn't rend me the shadchan and this girl dumped me and this and this tsar bonim and this and life chisels us and everything takes off chunks and I am what's left over. But the answer I thought to the question was is that the the Tselem Aleichem is the perfect block of godliness I began with. And the reason I'm unique is because we all had different chunks gouged out of us. Now, there's something powerful and nice and beautiful about that. And that is that my Tsar didn't destroy me. What I thought was ruining me really made me. I am the product of my Tsar. I was being chiseled. So it's a very powerful thing to think like that. That, that I thought all those people were ruining me when really that was the artist, artist recreating me. I am different than you because I was chiseled my way, you were chiseled your way. The problem with this word is it, it does legitimize your pain and validate it somehow. But at the same time, it's depressing because, okay, but how much of me was left on the floor of the art studio? If I weigh the final product of the stone, it weighs far less than it was when it started. That means how much of who I could have been is lost in the process of creating me. So I can tell you that, Baruch Hashem, that this is not the true terrors, that we don't learn the formation of humans from the Luchais. The Luchais are not the model. The inanimate world, the animal world is all made through Chakika and they're made through chiseling. Human beings, we don't learn the chinuch of a human from the luchais.
We learn the chinuch of a human from the menorah. All the laws of chinuch come from menorah. Chanukah is the song of Hanukkah. The Hanukkah is the The menorah is where we learn the chinuch, the formation of a human. How is the menorah made? The menorah is called miksha. It's hammered out of a black of gold. The menorah is also shaped through trauma. It is also shaped through every beating. It starts off, we all start off as a block of gold. And it's the clap and the experiences that hit me and beat me that makes me who I am. And all of my tsar wasn't ruining, ruining me, it was making me. But there's a huge difference between miksha and chakika. The difference between the luchais and the menorah is that when you're chiseling stone, with every hammer blow, something is lost. And the finished product weighs less. And the menorah, when you hammer metal, you're also shaping it through hit, hitting, through clip. But at the end, it weighs exactly what it weighed before. Nothing's lost in the process. When I bang it over here, I'm popping out a flower over here. And this pops out a gvia and a kaftar. Um, it has the beauty of the lesson that my tsaris made me. They didn't, they didn't break me, they made me. But at the same time, nothing was lost. I am shalim. And this is why nobody knew how to make the menorah. Not Moshe, not Betzalel. Because only the Rabbeinu Shalom knows how to beat us and give us klep where nothing is lost and we just come out more beautiful. To me, this is the most powerful lesson to go further. People have trouble going further because I lived in the, I lived in the bushes. How much of me was lost? I'm so much smaller than I was. And that's not true. You're not Chakika, you're Miksha. There was nothing lost. Every single thing that you thought ruined you, hurt you, broke you, it just popped out a flower somewhere else. We are miksha. We are hammered by Hashem. We are hammered. But the beauty of the menorah comes to hammering and there's nothing lost. There's no, there's no spilled milk. To, there's nothing to say it's too late. I wasted too much time. Everything is intact. It's just been reorganized. What you thought was giggles is now a depth and a perspective and a perception that you never would have had. What you, what, what you thought was cringy that you wrote in your thing became deep analysis that you can write poetry that might light up the hearts of infinite amount of people. It's, we, we don't know what we could be, but what we do know is that nothing was lost. And the reason most people stay in the bushes is they think I wasted too much time. Now I'm going to come out. Nah, too much damage is done. And the lesson is that the Rabbeinu Shalom is your artisan. He's the one who made you because you're Miksha. And nothing was lost. You were perfect. And, and tomorrow you come out of Menorah and all your time in the shadows, the bushes just made your flowers sharper and more defined. And just made your Gvia your cups on your menorah capable of holding more, more beauty. And I, I, I wish I could like somehow like grab people and, and like force this into their neshama. My bracha is, is that everybody should, should shower on the world, should overflow with all of the, all of the beauty of their miksha. Every single thing that you went through should 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 be crystallized in you that you should sing your song to the world the song that hashem spent 60 70 40 30 25 whatever amount of years you're in you, your song is 25 years in the making 
You have to realize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has been shaping you, and making you. You should be silent. The world, I called it a garden. The world's really a stage. And you are the soloist. And the Rabbi Shalom created you to go on the stage. And chas v'shalom, that you should sit silent. Everybody's waiting for your bracha, for your smile, for your giggle, for your hug, for your vart, for your car ride, for your chalant, whatever it is. But the Rabbi Shalom made you to give this is your moment. Every single thing you went through, went through was for tomorrow. And tomorrow was the day that you get to sing and give the world what Hashem wanted you to give. And Hashem will have, you know, the nachas of the composer when he gets to watch his, his piece finally being played on stage? That's how Kodesh Baruch is going to look at you tomorrow when you, uh, when you sing the song that he, he, he beat into us. Yeah, he beat it into us. But it's going to be magic. May you, may, the, may you be zeichet to light up the world with, with a Kodesh Baruch Hu song. All right. All right. Everybody have a good night. See everybody same time, same place next week, March 12th with Robert Bar Robert Bernstein and Nacha Masoch, who specialize in children in the autism spectrum, which would be an unbelievable sheer. And everybody have a Freilich and Purim. And thank you for joining. Everybody loves you tonight. Okay. Thank you.